Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Let's go there! Presented by Luke's Pizzas. Remember, football is crazy, love is blind. Good luck, football, what a story. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. I'm talking about sports, and I'm coming. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time it is that you're listening. Yes, it is Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast live from the Lunch Pail headquarters. I don't know if you guys remember us. It's been a minute, but we got Nigel on my left-hand side. Hello, Nigel. What's up? Episode 22, like my arms, baby. What's up? (laughs) And we got Lucas Clark off to my right. Lukey, what's going on? Uh, Just slowly getting over the depression of Monday night's game, but... We'll hash that out. It'll be it'll be flushed and on to the next season by the end of this podcast. So or, much or has maybe happened not. since we talked to you guys last. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't even remember what our last episode was about. Probably should have did a little uh, refresher beforehand. but That's not the lunch pill way. We don't do show prep. <laughs> yeah. No. That's why it's unhinged. A lot has gone on in Seattle sports in these last few days, last couple weeks. And somehow I thought the national championship would be the biggest headline, but... Actually, the uh, I think the biggest thing that's happened is the Pete Carroll um, let go. Was he fired? Mutually part ways. Um, Sounds like he got fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they tried to make it sound like they were parting ways with that initial uh, press clipping that I think I even sent to you. Yeah. But No, he for sure got fired. I mean, he even said that in his own words. I'm paraphrasing a little, but he competed like heck. <laughs> in order to try to keep his coaching spot, but it didn't work out for him. But we still got to recognize the guy. This We're talking about a guy that's been here in Seattle for 14 years. He's made the playoffs 10 times, won five NFC West titles, been to two Super Bowls and one Super Bowl victory in Seattle's only Super Bowl victory. To me, I believe that he has created a whole new culture and expectation for football in Seattle. I think we're all grateful of the time that we got at the peak coat. Pete Carroll era and uh but it is time for a change I think but uh we can hash that out what was your guys's initial reaction to this when the news broke um I guess I'll start I was a little surprised to be honest like you know I don't think it was like completely out of the blue because last year after they traded Russell Wilson like there was kind of some talks that maybe they would move on from him and I don't want to jump the gun on getting too much into how the Seahawks season went this year, but I think realistically management was probably expecting after they traded Russell and did all of that, that the Seahawks were going to go six and 11, seven and 10, maybe last year. Right. I mean, I think the vague, we talked about it. I think in our first podcast we ever did that, you know, we were all believers, but projected for five and a half wins so you figure they go out and basically hit that somewhere right around where Vegas has the line set, and they probably mutually part ways or fire them after last season. But then you have a playoff season with Geno Smith as your quarterback, get the stay of execution, and then you miss the playoffs the next year. So it wasn't like complete shock, but I was a little surprised, especially because I think the day before he got fired, he had his press conference, and he's like, I think 
it was Greg Bell, among others, that asked him very straightforward, like, do you expect to be the coach moving forward? And he's like, yeah. So a little surprising in that regard. What is he supposed to say? It's like, nah, I'm pretty sure I'm getting my papers tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's going to say that, but, and he's always an upbeat guy. So he's going to have, you know, some charm to him when he's saying it, but uh, it was a little surprising, but not completely shocking. Yeah, I'm with you. I was I was a bit surprised. Again, not completely out of the blue because you've kind of heard rumblings, and I think that there's been even rumblings during this season that I've heard from different sports talking heads that that could be Pete Carroll's last year if they don't make the playoffs. So it's not like complete shock, but I'm also I'm surprised that the Seahawks chose to do it just because I just don't, and I'm sure we're going to get into this more, but just like what's the next best option? You know, it's like you fire the guy that's like created this, this legacy and you're like, it doesn't always like the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And so that's the part that kind of surprises me more than anything is that it's not like there's this clear, you know, this is the next guy. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows it, um, you know, candidate out there. And so it, that's more, I think, where I my surprise comes from is that, um, you know, you could give it give it one more one last ride and see see what happens. Um, I do think that kind of what you said before that had had they uh, not gone to the playoffs last year, I think they were looking for a reason to get rid of him. It's like ever since Jody Allen has taken over, I think that's kind of when the rumbling started that that he might be gone. And that they're gonna that they want to kind of change things up, and so it's hard to it's hard to fire your coach when they make the playoffs when they're not expected to at all. So I think they're just looking for the excuse to, you know, get rid of him and and kind of start things fresh. But you know, we'll, we were gonna get into this a little more, but I just don't I just don't see the I don't see the clear cut uh, uh, replacement in my eyes, and so it just seems like. If that's the case, why why get rid of the guy that's proven success? So yeah, that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I there was something that there was kind of a red flag that happened mid midway through the season that I heard during one of his morning shows on the Pete Carroll show on seven ten, and he was asked like, "Is the team receiving your message? Like your overall viewpoint, or you know whatever you're trying to bring to the team?" And his response was, "I don't know. Ask them." And I think right there was kind of a red flag that maybe it's just like too much of Pete Carroll being in the same spot for too long and you got to shake things up. And I mean, ultimately they did plateau. I mean, what was it? 2021, they missed the playoffs. And then 20, uh, last year they went nine and eight, just like this year, but they happened to make the playoffs thanks to the lines. And then this year they put themselves in the exact same situation, except this time, depending on the bears. But I think it's just like, it just seemed like things got stagnant. It was just kind of, you always could expect that the Seattle was going to make the playoffs or at least like be right in the running for it. But would you ever expect them to ever win a playoff game? Because they have a, when's the last time they won a playoff game? That's a great question. Yeah, it's got to be 2018 <laughs> yeah, or 2019, even, uh, probably even before that. Yeah. Because yeah. right the season before that they didn't make the playoffs. Was it we that- won the division and we lost to the Rams where where DK we try to throw that screen pass to DK 
was it Jalen Ramsey? Yeah. I think went pick six was to end that, the game. Was it that Minnesota game a few years ago that they like on the fro- like the frozen game that that uh, Blair missed the field goal? Like that was blank? no, that, that was, was like, when they went to the Super Bowl again. Was that, that was the same year? that was okay. before. Well, that, was, I, or was, that was when they lost to the Panthers. I think. yeah, I was gonna say it's the year that they lost the Panthers. In the I think they round. won one where, more game where they kind of came back afterward afterwards because it was like the ch- the field was shit if you remember and like. Everyone was slipping all over in the first half, and then everyone changed cleats. In the second, I think they won second one half other, and then, lo- and then like almost came back and won. That I think game. they won one other playoff game okay. in between then, but yeah, that was like 2015. Yeah, I was gonna say that. is is that season that you're referring to? And so maybe one playoff win from 2016 until present. Yeah, yeah. Just off the, off the top of my head, I think that's about it. So, I mean, there's something to be said there because like I feel like a lot of NFL teams always kind of struggle with that that it's like do you want to go to the playoffs 10 years in a row or do you want a team for two or three years that is a legitimate Super Bowl contender now Pete you got both of it right but you're far from the Super Bowl contending days and you're more of just a team that at its best is going to squeak into the playoffs and that's really where they've been recently other than again that they won the division just a few years ago you know yeah. And then took a first round exit to the Rams. Yeah. I mean, like Nigel said, the grass always seems greener until you get there. And you can appreciate that you may not be winning playoff games, but at least you always have the expectation that you're going to make it. It's going to be interesting to see what happens leading into this of what's going to be the next era of Seahawks football. Is it going to be the same thing? Or do you actually see yourselves now that you actually can be a Super Bowl contender here in the next couple of years? depending on what staff comes in and how they mix things up. I think the cigar situation was also interesting too. I mean, not that it's like as big of a deal as what people made it out to be, but it does seem like there was mixed messages in the locker room. It seemed like you kind of had a group of old heads that were against it. And then the young bucks that were, didn't see it as that big of a deal. And that also shows to me that possibly that team wasn't necessarily like Pete Carroll didn't exactly have them in unison you know yeah which not to give pete a pass on any of that but to kind of rope in a couple things here is that that's why i really thought that pete was gonna stay and it was gonna be an overhaul of the rest of the staff like clint hurt needs to go shane waldron needs to go and that might have ultimately been his demise is that he's like because he kind of talked about that. I haven't watched the whole presser, but I think he talked a bit about that, that he, you know, felt bad for his, his assistant coaches and their families and like was fighting for them. So I'm sure that's part of it. It's like, I'm keeping my staff. I'm not firing everybody. Like that's not, that's not part of the the recipe here. Yeah. And he mentioned that too. I mean, here's the quote right here. I competed pretty hard to be the coach just so you know, because I wanted to make sure I sit up for all of the, all of our coaches and the players and the things that we had accomplished. So to me, it seemed like, he wanted to run it back with the same staff. Yeah, and maybe and maybe that is the subtext there is that they're like, Pete, we'll keep you on for one last hurrah, but like we got to do an overhaul of the coaches. And he's like, no, I want to keep rocking with these guys. And it's like all or nothing. And it's like, well, then it's nothing for you, Pete. Yeah. Like these guys aren't getting it done. And realistically, you haven't had a defense or defensive coordinator that's gotten it done in – seven eight seasons now like the seahawks haven't been a good defensive team basically since since dan quinn he wasn't even on the t- <laughs> i'm just kidding. trying to think who was uh, i guess it was probably early uh ken norton jr 
Yeah. He wasn't on that 2015 team, and that was still a good defense. Was, uh, what about the other young guy that that was uh, the DB's coach? Um, uh, Richard or yeah. Richard? Richard, yeah. Is that like his first year? Maybe. Yeah, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Was Chris Richard. Chris Richard. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was just gonna say is Chris. So I think we're right on that. But yeah. But moral of the story is is that basically in that time that you've had one playoff win, if we're right about that number you've haven't really had a top even 15 defense probably in any of those seasons. And that's what Pete Carroll's identity is. So it's hard to really, you know, vouch for yourself when it's like, what are are your core principles? I'm a defensive minded coach and I run the football. We haven't been that good of a running team realistically over the last seven or eight years. And you haven't been that good of a defensive team. It's like, what are you, what are you resting on right now? Yeah. Yeah, and I also think that there is, with that said, there was a disconnect between Pete Carroll and John Schneider and ownership because that's the other thing I, I made a note here too was that when Pete Carroll was doing his show the other day, he was talking about how he thought the Seahawks were like this much closer to competing for a Super Bowl. He truly felt that this this team and this staff was this much closer after this season that he saw that there was a huge progression moving forward into the next season and that on top of that, he was – mentioning his defense and how the numbers were not where it's not where he wanted them to be. He said that he hated them and it's uncharacteristic, but it's like, is it uncharacteristic? Because just of what Luke just said right there, like this has been kind of becoming the standard, you like it or not. Like that's been your identity the last, you know, quite a few seasons now, four or five seasons. Yeah. That's why jumping around a little bit, we talked a lot leading up to the draft. And obviously I think, the guy that they wanted and we wanted Anthony Richardson was gone before the fifth overall pick. So there really wasn't a guy, but you had draft capital move up is that with hindsight 2020, I'm even more surprised now that Pete and John Schneider didn't try to go get a quarterback. Cause that's usually your hall pass. You go, you go draft <laughs> yeah. a quarterback and it's like, this is year one with our really young, talented quarterback. Like you got to give me, don't shake this up right now. G- give us another run at this. That's every coach's hall pass. Yeah. You you draft a young quarterback, first year's growing pains, second and third year, now let me show you what I can do with this new weapon. And they didn't do that. Yeah. I'm not mad you, that they yeah, got Devin Withers. you truly believe that you're going to be the one with the job still, you're like, I'm going to actually make the team better and use, the, use these picks wisely versus losing capital to go get – a quarterback for my own hall pass. Although even following that is that you got Devin Witherspoon, who I think we're all happy about, but that's supposed to be your calling card is defensive backs and defense. And while Devin Witherspoon was one of the only bright spots on the team, but he wasn't that type of player or your defense wasn't that type of unit. They'd be like, you see what I'm doing here? Like our past defense is about to be elite because we got this guy. And it just didn't really translate that much. Spoon played really well individually, but the unit as a whole, defensively and the secondary, just wasn't nearly as good that you could use that kind of rationale and be like, I got my guys now. Let me run it back. Don't disrupt this now. Yeah. And I I think part, I mean, I think a big part of that is uh, past mistakes that are, (laughs) I'll just say it, Jamal Adams. Like I've been a, I've been the number one Jamal Adams supporter over the years and will always go back and point to those first eight to 10 games that he played before he got hurt. But 
I think at this point he's he probably is what ultimately killed Pete's Seahawks career when it's all said and done because you had the years without without top or first round picks because of that he's he never played so you're playing backups which no no uh, shot at Ryan Neal played pretty well in in those backup roles but now when he's healthy and uh, supposed to be the guy and you're paying him a bunch of money he's really just not that productive and was kind of a liability out there by the end of the season so I think that's you know ultimately kind of Pete's demise all it's also interesting too I'll be curious to see what happens with John Schneider keeping his job and he's in he's in charge of the coach search yeah I which is which is pretty interesting to me just because it always seemed like they were the package deal. And I think even Pete, like on his exit, you know, exit conference and like the day before was talking about like, you know, me and Johnny, we're like, you know, lockstep on this and we're going to be, you know, hand in hand, figuring this thing out and getting, you know, revamping this thing. And, and Pete loses his job and John Schneider's there. Cause a lot of, you know, most of the time when you do an overhaul like this, especially like, a big one with a coach that's been there a long time. Usually it's both. And yeah. GM goes too. exactly. GM goes too, because if you're making it, I mean, that's the other thing. If you're making an uh, actual good coaching selection, uh, usually you're, they're coming in there and saying, I'm, you know, here's my deal. Here's my coaching staff that you need to pay for. Here's my GM. And like, this is, you know, this is all the, all the things that are coming with me. So it's pretty curious that, that John Schneider's going to be staying in, and Pete's not to me. Yeah, I heard this. It kind of comes full circle here because uh, I had heard that uh, Todd Lywicki, you know, was part of the coach search when they got Pete Carroll. He's. I wonder if they'll try to bring him in too to be an advisory role because he's obviously Still really Seattle. good at this. Yeah. Um, but he when he got Pete Carroll, I had never heard this before. Is that he offered him coach and GM. And Carroll said, no, I don't want to be the GM. I just want to be the head coach. And then he picked John Schneider to come be the GM. So now here we are, fast forward 14 years, and now Pete's out and John Schneider is in charge of now picking the new head coach. So it's 14 years, but life comes at you fast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you guys this, uh, kind of moving into the future. As far as all the openings that are coming up with other teams and all the coaches that are – going to be available where do you believe that seattle lands as far as a desirable place to coach and kind of make this long-winded with that question what are the pros and cons to this team and what needs to be fixed and what needs to be maintained um well i'd probably put the seahawks right at the top honestly and obviously we're biased seahawks fans but you've been one of the most stable organizations even pre-pete carroll yeah, you know, you had your you don't down. have a crazy ownership group. They're pretty hands off. Yeah, you, you had a down year with Jim Mora, but before that, obviously Mike Holmgren was there. So for the last twenty three years, basically, you've been one of the winningest franchises. You have, yeah, you have an ownership group. Although that's also pro- that's the biggest question mark, right? Because any coach would say, when is the because the team will get sold at some point. Jody Allen will not be the owner of the team. It says that in Paul Allen's will that like she's not going to be the owner. At some point it has to be sold. And I think she's doing everything in her power to 
push that down, down the road so she can stay the owner, but eventually it'll happen. So I'm sure any person who comes in for a head coaching interview is like, when's that going to happen? Because when new ownership comes in, they might want to bring in their, their own GM and their own head coach. Yeah. Now, if you are winning Super Bowls and you're winning a ton of games, it doesn't really matter who buys the team. They'll probably keep you on. But I think that's that's the one like downside of the Seahawks. Outside of that, I'd put them right at the top. You can break it down by talent and say like the Chargers are that great. Was, that was what I was going to say just for a counterpoint is that I'd say Chargers are a good one because you have your quarterback of the future already locked in. You have talented pieces around him offensively and you have a talented some talented defensive players I, th- I think they've got some work to do to kind of button that up but i would say that's a that's one that is probably a rival and it's la so you're you're your second fiddle in la though yeah your second fiddle in la but actually still a, you're not LA. your second fiddle for nfl you're like fourth fiddle because you're probably behind the lakers and usc then the rams then maybe the Chargers. They might even be lower. Or Dodgers are ahead of them. So it's like, at least you come to Seattle. The Seahawks are the biggest thing in Seattle as far as sports go. I'm more saying, like, cushy lifestyle. Like, living the L.A. LA, uh, Living the Vita Loca, as uh, Tanner likes to say all the time. Um, Yeah, but all these guys are big status people, and so that is true. But it's like, I think there is value in being like, I'm in Seattle. The Seahawks are... are the biggest thing that is happening. Yeah. I am I am the like number one focal point of everyone's attention. I'm the head coach of the Seahawks. I am the biggest name in the Pacific Northwest. Like kind of goes unchallenged. Yeah. Whereas you go to the Chargers, like you said, you're you're not more popular than the Dodgers. Not like I said you're probably not more popular than USC on most years. So a little bit of that they they have the quarterback, but I also think a lot of coaches would say, you know, give me a chance to get my guy in here. Like Herbert's also under contract. Some guys might look at that as a, as a negative point. Yeah. Like, whoever comes I, into the Seahawks can go into the first round and get their guy of the future. If they really want to. Yeah. True. So Will I put them up 16th overall pick. I think that's, I think that's where they're at. And so. I mean, I, I think as far as going into my next question with that, what needs to be maintained and what needs to be fixed. I mean, I think overall, you guys can break this down a little bit more, but overall, the Seahawks have a pretty solid foundation going into it. I mean, there's holes to be fixed, but as far as offensive weapons, you had three great receivers, you have two great running backs, and you got a good tight end room. That's something to work with in an improved offensive line these last few years. And on the defensive side, you got young talent all around, and – you obviously have plenty of draft picks to try to fill in any holes. So it seems like to me that this could be on top of everything Luke was saying there, that to me, it seems like you can kind of plug and play, find your quarterback of the future, knock Gino out. And then you could end up having yourself a solid foundation going in for the years to come. Yeah. I mean, like that's to further that is that I don't have, the Chargers roster in front of me and their cap hits, but it's like they have more talent, but you have money on the books. You have an old, older Keenan Allen who's great. We love Keenan Allen, but he's older and he's getting paid. You have Austin Eckler, who I guess, I guess, is he a, did he even get a contract? He might have been on a yeah, I don't, franchise well, tag. Money, money on the books, though, like that, 
Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, like those are big money guys that also but everyone, aren't that everyone old. Everyone has but, to fall within like a certain range uh, like spending in the NFL. So it's not like Right, but you have like your you money tied like, up in old players whereas like the Seahawks I still think are attractive because a lot of their best players are yeah, Tariq Wollin, Devin Witherspoon, Boye Mafe, Smith yeah, and Jigba, Kenneth of, Walker. A lot of young like, talent. Young talent sure, that it's but, like, I can walk into this job. And again, that's why I thought maybe there would just be an overhaul of coordinators that I don't think it's a lack of talent on the Seahawks. It's a lack of scheme and execution. So if you're that coach that's like, well, once I get my guys in here and I scheme them up, you know, not to jump around too much, but it's like when DeBoer took over at UW. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to change the pieces. I just need to change how I'm arranging them on the board. And like, yeah. and, and they're young. So yeah. it's not like it's a one season, one and done. And now these guys are too old or I can't afford to pay these other guys because I got too much old dead money on the books. It's like I can run this back two or three years in a row because none of my best players need big contracts yet. So I think it's uh, – I got to think it's, if not the most – Top two, third at worst, most attractive opening. Yeah. Honestly, the ownership question is probably the biggest one because you want to know that you're going to have an owner that's backing you. And if that ownership changes year two or three of your contract, that can that could be a reason why somebody wouldn't want to come here. Yeah, I have a feeling that it's going to be many more years before that happens. I think so too. But guess, how do you I sell guess. that to a coach, though, that it's yeah. like... Yeah, <laughs> you... Because you're the one that's hiring him. That's how you sell it to him. You tell him, I'm going to be here for a long time. My lawyers tell me so. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure my brother's will doesn't get executed properly. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can count on yeah. me. <laughs> All right, so tell me this. Who's the next coach of the Seattle Seahawks then? Dan Quinn. is, And uh, I say that with uh, the least excitement possible because i th- i think that's who it's going to be i it really doesn't like uh give me any joy i'm not that excited about that maybe that'll change <laughs> but that's who, that's who my money's on right now i'd say that's the clubhouse leader in my mind i tend to agree that he might be the clubhouse leader especially because you know it's so early in the process it's not like we have a lot of information that's being put out there but i'm i'm just gonna bang the drum now might be end up being wrong but i think it's gonna be jim harbaugh i think they're just gonna throw an absurd amount of money at him and if i'm harbaugh maybe if a different job opens up that hasn't that's then maybe the the hierarchy of opening open positions changes but it's got to be either L.A. or Seattle for him if he's going to go to the NFL now that those jobs are available. And so if you're in a two-horse race, uh, money's probably not going to be the determining factor because they're both going to throw equal amounts of money at him. But who knows? Maybe you can maybe you can figure that out. John Schneider, if Pete Carroll is in an advisory role with John Schneider there, maybe that makes it a little tougher. I don't really like each other that much, <laughs> yeah. given their history. But at the yeah, end of the day, that one would be an in- interesting one, given the history. I do think that uh, that Harbaugh would be a great, great addition to kind of 
get you back to that like Seahawks style. Like, I think he would kind of come in. And, I think he checks all the boxes. Yeah, he's come got in, that juice. Yeah, he'd come in and kind of unapologetically be what what Pete has wanted to be for a, a lot of years now. Because yeah, he's just at Michigan, he really has been Pete. Yeah. He's just he's just twenty years younger than him, or yeah. fifteen years young. I don't know how old Jim Harbaugh is. I imagine he's fifty-five. Yeah, somewhere so in there. Seven, we'll say seventeen years younger than him. So basically, where Pete was at when he was leaving USC, and wouldn't that be poetic that Pete Carroll left USC amongst tons of sanctions and allegations, and kind of leaves to come to the Seahawks, and Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan under similar circumstances comes to Seattle brings a Super Bowl within three or four years yeah that'd be that'd be interesting I th- I think a lot of people this is the one thing I think a lot of people in Seattle would hate that because they they just put Harbaugh with the Niners in in their heads and so like I think a lot of people would have trouble getting over that to a lot start. of people didn't like Pete Carroll when he got hired I, I, I don't disagree I loved that hire like just like yeah. I would I wouldn't mind having Harbaugh as the coach just because I think he would play the type of football in the NFL that I'd like to see but I just think a lot of people would would have a bad taste in their mouth to start and that would it would it would take some time for people to actually uh soften up to that so we don't I'll be curious. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see if they do go that route, how they kind of, kind of play that, you know, getting us crotchety Seattle folks out of our old ways. Yeah. There's a lot head. of stupid Seahawks fans. I saw some <laughs> yeah, guys exactly. say today on Twitter that I don't care if Jim Harbaugh comes in and gives us five Super Bowl rings. I still don't want them in Seattle. It's like, yeah. why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There, there's a lot of reasons to be a sports fan, but usually my number one reason is that it's fun, and the most fun you can have is watching a winning team. Yeah, and so you do what it takes to to get to get your team in a position to be a winning team. Yeah, and I think Jim Harbaugh is he, the guy's had success everywhere he's went, so you can't argue with his resume. So if you have the opportunity to get him, like you have to go get him. My dark horse candidate, and I know I've talked about this before. Is still Mike Tomlin. That's I, that would be my number one. If Crystal Ball, like I can, I could pick anyone to be the Seahawks coach. I would pick Mike Tomlin as well. It's just so. it falls into that same camp though with Pete Carroll. In my mind, is that he basically gets a stay of execution potentially again this year, just like he did last year because he made the playoffs again. They'll. We'll see what they do. Maybe they win a playoff game, and then he's definitely not getting fired. They're playing the Bills, so if they lose to the Bills, does he get fired? Because if he does, I would say the Seahawks should jump on him immediately. And if if they lose, and especially if they lose like thirty to three, they should call him at halftime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they're down three scores at yeah, halftime, exactly. They, they, see if you can get a line on Tomlin, but. I'd hey man, say just need the ball. We're, we got a job for you. Yeah. <laughs> he he falls in the same camp though. Is that like the grass isn't always greener? He's basically mirrored what Pete Carroll has done. He came in and he won a Super Bowl with Pittsburgh really early in his career, and he's basically just been a go to the playoffs every year type team and coach. And they're not really true Super Bowl contenders most of those years. Yeah, but they're in it. I mean, and they win outside of. 
outside of Bill Belichick, like no, no coaches though. That's the thing. It's like how many coaches, especially in the modern modern day NFL, like a lot of them come in and win early, but it's a lot harder given the you know rules of the NFL and how you draft and how things work to actually continue to stay at the top. Like the Belichick did it, and I think largely because of. Tom Brady, he had some great picks along the way too. Like you can't can't knock him for that, but it's tough to do. So I I definitely uh, think it'd be interesting to have someone like um um I why can't I Tomlin Tomlin Thank you, jeez. Um, someone like Tomlin come in and like again rearrange the pieces, like you said, and and see if that see a lot if that of times makes a difference. A lot of times these guys just need a change of scenery. I mean, Andy Reid was stuck in a rut with the Eagles and going to the NFC Championship. They finally made it to the Super Bowl. They lost, and then he goes to Kansas City. He gets his guy at quarterback, and now he's winning Super Bowls again and got over the hump. I mean, even Bruce Arians was in Arizona and had good success, went to the Super Bowl, lost to the Steelers, right? That was Tomlin, right? And yeah, then he right. goes to Tampa Bay, wins the Super wins the Super Bowl there with Tom Brady. Sometimes you just need a change of scenery. Like it's not that the coach isn't good and it's not that the team isn't good. Sometimes you just need like that hard reset, get somewhere else, and things happen and things start to happen. So it won't be Tomlin's decision. I'm sure if it is, he'd be like He'll say the same thing as Pete Carroll. They they go get dusted by the Bills. First question will probably be like, are you going to be the coach of the Steelers next year? And he'll say, I'm planning on it. Yeah. And then we'll see. But if he's available, I'd say him and Harbaugh are top two. The other one that – so back to my crystal ball, like I can pick anyone on the planet. Tanner, Lincoln Riley. Tanner and I talked about – no, not Lincoln Riley. Um is um, Dan Campbell would be my number two, but obviously he's and he's a quirky guy, like former player, yada yada. Obviously, that's not going to happen because the Lions are too good right now. But I think that another possibility would be Mike Vrabel for the job. I think I think Vrabel's. I think all, Vrabel would. Be he another. falls in that Dan Quinn camp, though. Yeah. So I feel like I default to Dan Quinn because he's been here and he has a relationship with Schneider. Yeah, I still think Vrabel kind of gives that like I think Vrabel's a little more of a hard ass, but he's still a, a former player, so like demands the respect. Where Quinn is like, you know, seasoned coach, not necessarily player. It's like I think they're kind of even overall candidates, probably like on their Oh, uh, I yeah, agree with that. But I just, I like Vrabel like a head uh, you know, a head over uh, Dan Quinn just because he's kind of former player and it's a different style of coaching where you have a little more hard ass, hard nose uh, person versus Dan Quinn. I don't think really gives off that hard ass vibe that that uh, that Vrabel or something like even Tomlin. Like Tomlin kind of, I wouldn't fuck with Tomlin if if it were yeah. if I were a player. Like even though I think he's. Kind of, a little more know, grading personality. Yeah, exactly. But I and I think Tomlin's, you know, much like a lot of these guys, are, you know, behind the scenes, probably a lot more loose and funny at times. But like, he's all business when you see him. You know, when you see him on TV or anything, like he's buttoned up and he's like, you know, doesn't look like a guy you want to mess with. So I, I'm, I'm saying Vrabel as my other like kind of dark horse candidate that I like. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about Vrabel is that 
today with the announcement of Bill Belichick now mutually parting ways as well, fired. Um, I think Mike Vrabel is for sure going to the Patriots. I think that's the Patriots' new head coach. Probably. Probably. I know. Could I, be. I think that's where he wants to go, and I'm sure Robert Kraft would love to have a former Patriots come in and take the job. Yeah. And he had success in Tennessee, too. I mean, he was a good coach. He's, and, I, again, that's why I'm surprised they're getting rid of him, is that it like, falls grass is always greener, that it's like – guy took you to the AFC championship game what two years in a row with Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback yeah like his biggest problem I think is just getting talent on offense they got one good player on offense Derrick Henry they finally got a second good player AJ Brown and they traded him away <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. so I, and I don't is I don't think Vrabel's the GM in Tennessee or had been mm-hmm. so I don't think so I, I don't know that that's I'm his fault I'm sure he has a say yeah but well, part of that was contract disputes, if I remember correctly, because AJ Brown wanted to get paid, and they're like, "We're not gonna pay you right now." <laughs> so they said, "Yeah, well, they probably should have." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably should have. Uh, one one thing that you did bring up, though, to bring it full circle too, is like Dan Campbell. Is that that's the that's the interesting thing about them keeping John Schneider? Is that like to rope back in Holmgren too? Is that I do think that Seattle is an attractive enough job that you could be the type of place that says we want a sitting head coach from somebody else and we are going to take them if they want, if we want them, because we'll make them the GM and the head coach. That's what you did with Holmgren. He was at Green Bay, right? Like that's a tough place to steal someone's head coach, but they had the ability to give him the GM title and the head coaching job. You know, and this was back in 2000 or whatever. So I still think that would apply for the Seahawks if they got rid of John Schneider and they really wanted somebody that they could go poach them. But with John Schneider there, you don't really have anything to offer somebody unless they're a good coach on a shitty team, which I don't really know who that is right now. You know, unless you want to take D'Amico Ryans from from the Texans. But why would he? He he just got there. You know, yeah, but or Stefanski if, uh, or have the Jets announced if uh, they're they're firing Robert Sala? I I haven't heard his name announced yet. Okay. So because that's another guy. If he you bring him in as D coordinator, yeah, go go. I mean, if, you, but if he was if he was available and on the market, I would I would take him as a head coach too. That's where again I would say that Dan Quinn might have some cachet. Is you go get Dan Quinn and then you get like Mo Salah or Robert Salah, not Mo Salah. You get you get Robert. Sa- yeah, you get Robert Salah to come in as your DC because he was a part of that. He was under Dan Quinn in Seattle. Or you go get Gus Bradley. Got to get the gang back together. You just go get Dan Quinn. You get Bradley or, or Robert Salah. Are we going DC, with the Mariners strategy and you get, here? And you I'm get, get Daryl Bevel to be your OC. <laughs> yeah. I think he's down in Jacksonville right now. So you go get, or maybe he's in Miami. He might be in Miami. I'm trying to remember now. I think he's in Miami. I think he is too. Now that you say it. Yeah. So he's had pretty good success there under uh, Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel would be another guy. I'd say that, yeah, that if was... you had the GM, if you had the GM tag open. Be like Mike McDaniel, we want you to come to be, come be our coach and GM, and maybe you pull him out of Miami. 
Yeah, I would. I would love to have Mike McDaniel as well. That's what I was. Tanner and I were talking about that a little bit, but I don't know all the all the coaches as well, or especially like assistant coach tree as well. But like maybe there's that Mike McDaniel type out there that I don't know about. Sean McVay type from a few years ago. It's like who's the, who's the 34 year old that's like the whiz genius that everyone's saying like is the next guy that no one's really talking about. Like, is there, is there someone like that out there? Someone Kellen named Moore. Nigel Romaine. I don't, you know, I don't know, but it, there's, there's always seems like recently there's been that guy out there that, that gets a job somewhere and kind of blows up pretty quickly. So yeah, the other one we talked, I'm already blanking on his name again. It took Nigel and I forever to figure out his name last night. Maybe at the top oh, of your head, uh, the enemy, uh, Oh, Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy. Any chance you see him going out for a head coaching spot this year? Because I mean, last year wasn't that the huge headline story that he should be a head coach somewhere, and he ends up taking an OC spot with the Commanders. Yeah, I don't. I I told you this yesterday, Tan, but I think that that Panthers job is his. I think that's the that's the place that that Bieniemy is going to land. If if you're asking me, seems like because. He's had trouble getting getting the head coaching jobs at places, and well, then would Washington be a great spot for him since he's already there? Well, they I assume they fired him along with Rivera. Usually, they fire the whole staff. So yeah, I guess. So I guess. I'm guessing he's unemployed right now. It seems like that could be a a good spot. You have a young quarterback. He'd made Sam Howell look pretty good this past year, despite he, he had a couple of weapons, I guess at receiver, but still made Sam Howell look good. I could see, uh, see that maybe being a, a good landing spot for him. My only thing on B enemy would be that I don't know anything about the guy personally, but I would go kind of counter to what Nigel just said is that like the guy wasn't really getting serious consideration for being a, a head coach when there were vacancies when he was part of Andy Reid's staff. And whether it's fair or not, I have no idea. But there's got to be some sort of reason for that. I don't think he helped his case by going to Washington to be the OC. They also, I think, had a good offensive start to the season, and they weren't that good at the end because they benched Sam Howell towards the end of the year because it wasn't, which maybe that's not his fault, Sam Howell maybe just was who we thought he was, you know, a fourth round quarterback. That's really not that good, but I don't think he really helped his head coaching case by not being on Andy Reed's staff. The The best thing he probably did for his, for his status is that the chiefs haven't been as good this year offensively since he left. So like addition by subtraction, I don't know that he helped his case by being in Washington. He probably only helped his case by not being in Kansas city. Like that's probably a better not like like plus on his resume is that the Chiefs looked a lot worse offensively without him there to help. So he would, in my mind, he would be a head coach already if people thought that he was worthy of being a head coach. Doesn't mean he won't be the Panthers' head coach. That's the most dysfunctional organization. So, <laughs> yeah, but I just mean, what, yeah. and, and it doesn't mean he won't get a head coaching job somewhere else. I just the Seahawks, I think, are just on a higher tier here. Yeah. You're not going for a guy who has no head coaching experience unless it truly is some young wonderkin yeah. type McVeigh, McDaniels type. So, something like that, which I don't know who that guy is right yeah. now. But 
So I'm going to throw out a couple more names uh, for you guys just for the Seahawks' sake. If you'd be interested in having him as a head coach or not, it can just be a simple yes or no, or you can elaborate if you want. But these are a couple more names that have been thrown out. Lincoln Riley. Hell no. No, I, I, I wouldn't want Lincoln Riley. I'd take him as our OC. Belichick. Probably not. Um, I'd give it a whirl. Why not? I, Any chance he would come to Seattle? I don't think so, personally. But I don't, I don't think so either. I mean, he's he's the greatest coach of all time. So why not? Why not give it a give it a whirl? I, I'd take three years of Belichick, and you'd find out whether or not it was going to work or not. I I'm not saying it couldn't happen. It just it doesn't it doesn't line up in my mind that you get rid of Pete Carroll to get Belichick because in my mind they're. They're like this. They're both seventy-something-year-old head coaches that are, air quotes, past their prime, that kind of have the same philosophy about football. So why would you get rid of Pete Carroll just to get a guy who's very similar? And the two other, these are long shots, but I'm gonna throw them out there anyway because I've heard them. Chris Peterson, would he be interested at all? I don't think he would be interested at all. Yeah, I don't. Would you be interested in Chris Peterson? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I, I would take Chris Peterson as the Seahawks coach. I I doubt that he would I doubt that he would jump if he was going to jump into the NFL realm, I think he would have done it years ago. May, maybe he just needed a break and now he's like I'm rejuvenated, want to go coach again and it's going to be in the NFL, but I I don't I think that he would have done that you know, in his time with the uh with the uh Huskies, but I do think he'd be good at it cuz he's kind of that CEO type. Here, you know. Here's the one thing I'll say counter that is that I would be interested to see how Chris Peterson does because uh, I don't want to get too off the rails with this, but I think a lot of college coaches who struggle to transition to the NFL, there's a reason for it. And Chris Peterson, I think is a really good coach. I think he has a lot of uh, how you say faith based uh, like encouragement it works really well on 18 to 22 year olds that aren't getting paid. It's part of the reason why he got out when he did, because he knew the writing on the wall with NIL and didn't want to have to deal with egos with kids making money. Is it at manipulate probably isn't the right word, but I do think a lot of these college coaches like pray and manipulate young people to like really get them to rally around and like come together you can't really do that in the NFL. And I think a lot of college coaches honestly fail at the NFL level because they realize that they can't control their players because they're adults who make more money than they do. As opposed to when you're in college, you can kind of brainwash your players to like really get focused on a central goal, which is ultimately what you want to do when you're trying to get a, in the NFL's case, a 53 man roster, like everyone's got to be like lockstep, as we we're saying before, division in the locker room. Like, you need people. I don't know that his style translates to the NFL. So, with that said, do you think that's why Nick Saban ultimately decided to leave? Going a little. Oh, it's definitely. There. Oh, it's definitely NIL related. He's he's also old too, you know. And I think, but he he bitched about that before, like a year or two ago, and that's when he got he was slinging mud at Jimbo and stuff. That I think, not. Not really lockstep with the future of college football and with players players getting paid unless they're the ones doing it. 
right? It's okay for Nick Saban to give his entire team Hellcats, but as soon as everybody else gets them, <laughs> it's it's a wash, man. College football has lost its identity. I'm the only one who's supposed to be having boosters, giving them fucking cars, and giving them money, and I get all the best players. So I, I think that's entirely why he's leaving right now. Yeah, I, I think that that's I think that that's a a major part of it for sure. If it was 15, 20 years ago, maybe he's young enough to be like, I got time to figure this out. Like, I can adapt and change. But, you know, he's in his 70s, too. Like, this is too much happening too fast. Like, I'm not. Although I did I did see a quote, though, um, that I think came from from Reese Davis that when he talked to Saban afterwards that he said there's only two paths for his future that he wants to go one of which was broadcasting because he said he was good at it or whatever. He knows he's good at it and will be successful. But the other was like, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was being, being part of the like committee or group that like shapes the NIL landscape for college athletes for the future. Like that was what he like. That's the two paths that he wants to he'll, go down. He'll be, the com- he'll be the he'll be the commissioner of the he'll NCAA. be the commissioner of the new NCA f- or the yeah, new the new college f- football association. Yeah, that and that's kind of what that I'm, that is what will probably yeah, and happen. that's that's what I'm kind of getting at is that he'll, Chris Peterson will also probably be a part of that. Yes, I think. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be much like there'll be college football playoff committee, but it's going to be you know new committee of of folks that are that are kind of overseeing seeing the new order of college football yeah he i was listening today because uh dan patrick was replaying an interview that he had with saban like a year ago where basically asked him straight up like are you gonna retire like after this season or whatever yeah i remember and and he's just kind of like like no i don't have plans he's just like i don't know what i do and i don't remember his exact phrasing although he kind of had a similar, I feel like he had a similar take to what Nigel and I always said long ago when Joe Joe Paterno stopped coaching, is that I think part of Saban's like I'll probably fucking die that like shortly after I stop coaching because it's just so much a part of what I do every day. And Nigel and I said that the second that Joe Paterno retired from Penn State, it's like that dude's gonna be dead in six months because like this guy, football is his fucking blood. Yeah. So as soon as you take that away from him, it's like, I literally have nothing to live for. So I think Saban will get into something football adjacent almost immediately. Yeah. He, has he might to, take a year off. I don't even know. And he kind of said, he's like, what am I going to do? Go golf every day? Like, yeah, that gets boring really fast. Yeah. Like, I guess I don't, he'll take six months off until the next season. By the time <laughs> the next season starts, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'll be broadcasting be or doing something. He'll be but. on the CBS broadcast. I wouldn't be surprised if he he's already in talks with being the commissioner of the next football league. Like if they're the powers that be are already kind of tinkering with that behind the scenes. Cause uh, I mean, we've said it before. I think it's coming in the next five to 10 years regardless. So why not uh, start kind of piecing it together and say in two years from now, it's announced that in three years it's happening. You know, you start your shadow camp council now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some Illuminati shit. Yeah, exactly. You got the shadow council behind the scenes already with Chris Peterson and uh, Nick Saban and probably a few other people that are just like, well, once this all collapse, we're the, we're the new world order that steps in. So 
Kind of got a little off track there. You weren't asking about <laughs> about that. And the well, last name, <laughs> yeah, Kalen DeBoer. That's another one Seattle fans have brought up. Um, I think I think Kalen DeBoer would be a great NFL coach, also. But he he seems like I don't want to see the Huskies. Yeah, I don't want. I don't, I don't want, want to see the Seahawks. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to yeah, see, yeah, it see it. No, that's that's not what I'm saying. I think he would be a great NFL coach. I don't want to see it at all. <laughs> so I I would hate to see it, but. I think he he seems like the type, even more so than Chris Peterson, that um, very, I guess, his relationships with people um, are not based in the faith and uh, brainwashing that you're kind of saying. Like, I think it's a lot a lot more genuine. It's kind of what I I get from him. So I think that he would be a really good NFL coach in that sense because kind of like Pete Carroll, like a dude that genuinely just cares about all of his people and all of his players and like, you know, brightens everyone's day in the, you know, in the entire building every, you know, as he, as he walks along. So I kind of get more of that vibe where I think he would be, I think he'd be a really good, good NFL coach. Yeah. I think DeBoer also, I think in my mind makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks to think about it for all the reasons that Nigel said. And I think he's, he's proven it now that he has like, he has a way that he wants to structure things and it's like really detail oriented, which is obviously good for the NFL. Like you're really, you really are the like CEO, but like an actual CEO, not somebody who plays golf, you know, 300 days out of the year, but somebody who actually like builds this whole culture around it. And then furthermore is that I don't know if the Seahawks will follow this trend, but most of the time in the NFL, it's like you have a, defensive minded coach you hire the opposite you get an offensive minded coach you have an offensive minded coach and it's time to fire him you get a defensive hard nose you got a player's coach you get a hard nose guy like old school hard nose guy or vice versa like so DeBoer would really check that box and it's like he has a lot of the same qualities as Pete offensive minded guy we've just been kind of you know doing this even though we haven't been a good defensive team you know but our identity has been defense and run the ball so we're going to bring in a high-flying passing attack type coach that's going to revitalize the offense i don't think it'll happen i mean he's only been Didn't they pick rome number 16 overall i don't think he'll last that long <laughs> yeah. but pick panics number 16 overall. there we go pick yeah pick panic 16 overall okay so the very last question i have on this topic and we'll move on but i'm going to tie bill belichick and pete carroll together is that do you see Either one of them coaching in the NFL moving forward. I think both of them will. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I was just thinking about this while we were talking about it earlier, but maybe that uh, LA job for Pete go back to go back to his roots in LA. Um, you got the quarterback locked in already. Like that seems like. I mean, either of those guys would probably do well in that job because they don't have they don't have all the years left to uh, to go back you know go back and do rebuild, a rebuild everything yeah. from scratch. So I think either of those guys would be good candidates for that job. Um, I'm trying to think what other uh, what other position or what other places have. I mean, for Pete, I think it's. It's I think LA it's or, LA or bust. LA or bust. Maybe the maybe, maybe the Vegas Raiders. Maybe yeah. 
Well, maybe. Maybe he goes back to the Patriots. <laughs> they just swap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Belichick for sure is coming back in the NFL. I mean, even Robert Kraft today during the press conference said that the biggest thing with this transition is that he's not looking forward to seeing Bill Belichick on the other sideline. So they've already kind of put it out there that Bill Belichick is going to be looking for another job. And plus, he's only like... 26 wins, I think I heard, away from Don Shula's record. I think he's 15. 15? Is that all fif- it is? I think he's so fif- it's like so he'll get that he's, next He's got to ride it out for three more years and hope that he can get it, right? Yeah. I, I already told you before, I'm sticking by it. Washington Commanders. Yeah. I said that when Washington the- Commanders already announced they have no interest in Bill Belichick. Yeah, that's exactly what you'd say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what you'd say. How about How about Bill Belichick in Vegas? Max Crosby, Bill Belichick, just a couple Derek of bros. Carr. He he just takes over. Uh, Derek Carr's Josh not there. <laughs> he brings Derek Carr back <laughs> to the Derek. Raiders. He brings Mac Jones <laughs> yeah. with him. Yeah. <laughs> he, Mac jo- he just takes over uh, Josh McDaniels' job, and uh, boom. Him and Josh McDaniels be united again. <laughs> <Yeah>. He'll hire <laughs> Josh McDaniels as the OC there. <laughs> I think the Panthers are also. I think they said Atlanta's the uh, odds-on favorite. For Bill, that Vegas odds have Bill Belichick to Atlanta. That's that's not a bad. Place. At least earlier today when I heard, but I can see the Panthers too. For command, Commanders got their GM, the guy from Golden State, because I think I had said before when I had put that out there that you have a new owner, so maybe he brings in a guy like Bill Belichick, and I could still see it. I guess you said that they have no interest, but be like Bill, we're, we just got our GM. He's an NBA guy, so you're a perfect fit to like help the transition from being an NBA GM to an NFL. All that I could see the same for the Panthers that you have a dog shit owner who's just been trash, and you're the laughing stock. That it's like you bring in Bill Belichick for legitimacy, and you make him the GM and be like, "We fired three coaches in the last three years." Like you take over the GM job, you take over the head coaching job, stability, legitimacy. Don't make the Panthers a laughing stock. You bring instant credibility to the organization. Yeah. So I don't think the Panthers would be pushing hard for him. Well, I wouldn't take that job if I was him. But if I'm the Panthers, <laughs> yeah. I'd be. If I'm the Panthers, especially I'd be, if you're chasing a record, I don't know if the Panthers are the team you want to be riding with. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair point. Yeah, because you still don't have you still don't have draft picks with them. Yeah. Or, yeah, you don't have. Yeah, no, yeah, they traded them picks. to get to get uh, Bryce Young. Yeah. I'm sure they still have some. They still got fourth and fifth rounders. Yeah. That's where Bill Belichick makes his money. Yeah. Maybe the, I mean, Bears. the Bears. Bears Bears didn't fire their coach. Yeah, they didn't fire. They, I think they said They Eber fired Fluss, everyone else. But Eberflus is staying, yeah, at least for now. Yeah, they fired the entire staff, but not not the head coach. I think I think Falcons could be an interesting one just because it seems like the Falcons kind of have a Patriots-like defense where it's like you don't know one person on the defense, but they're somehow good already. So like and They have weapons. Yeah, and then they have offensive weapons. They just need to get someone in there that knows how to use it because you got, you got Pitts, you got Drake London, you've got Bijan, you've got Algiers Tyler Algiers. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Quit playing with me, dog. <laughs> 2022 Rookie of the Year, Algiers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bill Belichick comes back. He comes to the Falcons to help them redeem their Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. Ooh. Yeah, cool story. Spicy. Yeah. Oh, I almost forgot. They have the most important person on their team. Corderell Patterson, the greatest running back return man of all time. 
that's all I got to say about coaches. We've gone an hour now, so yeah. I think it's time. To- and with that, we'll take a quick commercial break brought to you by uh, Luke's Pizzas, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Luke from Luke's Pizza here. Are you a dirty, filthy little pizza slut? Me too. Luke's Pizza is now accepting orders. If you'd like to place an order, just text the code word pizza slut to 425-350-2379. Feel free to let me know what toppings you'd like on that pizza. I probably won't put them on there, but it's worth a shot. Because at Luke's Pizza, you know the saying, when you're here, your uh, pizza gets it your way. That's Luke's Pizza Promise. All right. And we're back. That was a message from Luke's Pizza. And, uh, yeah, there you go. There's that. Uh, So, the biggest story in Seattle sports has been this fantastic offseason put up by the Seattle Mariners. I don't know if you listeners have seen this. I'm sure you have. But we now have Luke the Nuke Rayleigh playing for the Seattle Mariners. Can I get a Seattle Mariners? The Seattle Mariners! So that's big news. Who the fuck is that? Oh, you don't know about the nuke? <laughs> I don't. I think he's played two seasons in the MLB. Uh, he was with That's the, good enough for me. I'm sold. Yeah. He was with the Dodgers, and I think he had like maybe 60 at-bats, and then last year he was with the Rays. Actually put up pretty decent numbers. I think he was like a – you guys can double-check this, but I think like a 250 hitter, 30 bombs. I'm not going to double-check it. Crowd favorite. <laughs> From the Instagram and Twitter comments I've seen that the Rays were really sad to see him go. He had mm. he had 357 at-bats last year, 89 hits, 19 dingers, 49 ribs for a 249 average. That sounds like a Seattle Mariner. If Luke, I've ever heard the one. Nuke Rayleigh, welcome. Yeah. Woo! Age... 29 years old, just a tender little wow. – he's a tender little fawn. He's just barely sc- even <laughs> scratching his prime. Yeah, he's just barely scratching his prime. Well, what I'm a- sold. That outfield is secured. He, he I assume is he's an outfielder. Six, he is a corner outfielder, six first baseman, and your very own Jerry DePoto said that he can cover center field if he needs to. Whoa. I can cover center field if I need to. It doesn't mean anyone's asking me to. He's six foot Jesus four. He's Christ. a big boy. Yeah, I heard that he's built like a linebacker, so that's where the nuke comes from. Does he have a ginger beard? Uh, kind of. Yeah, I've got a I've got a picture of him up for you right here. Yeah, if anyone's uh, watching the live feed that we don't have, here he is. That looks that looks like I'm looking in the mirror. Yeah, I was from, say, from here, yeah. from across the room. <laughs> Was that me? Luke, is that you? <laughs> yeah, is that me? Yeah. Is that a persona? Is yeah. That... Luke. Do, yeah. Do Luke, I have a mediocre bat Clark? in the MLB? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're good for 249 this year. That's for I sure. cannot contain my I'm good for excitement. 249 beers at the park this year. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. I cannot contain my excitement about this offseason of the Mariners. I'm going to throw this off to Nigel. Tell us about all these recent offseason moves that we have just that we've had. Well, on the Glad last you call on me, yeah, on the on the last pod we uh, we talked about the uh, the big trade, uh, which was Kelnick and Evan White and who else was there? Uh... The Bulldog. Oh, sorry, my favorite player. <laughs> who else? How could I forget he the was, Bulldog, Marco? He was being coy. Yeah, <laughs> the Bulldog. He didn't want it. To how be you true. say hur, 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 Bulldog, uh, Marco? Uh, for hur, 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 for what a bucket of baseballs and a tenth overall prospect in the Braves organization. So, really, you know, just top tier top tier uh acquisition there and then uh 
next up, you know, we're uh, our our giant giant uh, acquisition. None other than hold 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 on, boys. Are you ready ready for this? Are you ready to hear the next DH of your Seattle Mariners, Mitch Garver? Woo! Could not be more stoked for that. Uh, And backup catcher. Yeah, and backup catcher. Um, Let's see. Last year hit 270. Wow. Would be top of the the table for the Mariners. I'll be down to 250 in no time. (laughs) Yeah. Also had 19 dingers. Wow. We're just getting as many guys in here that can hit 19 dingers. I tell you what, if these guys that hit 19 dingers get it up to 25, we're World Series bound. That's it. I think I did read that either him or the nuke. Uh, had a higher OPS than anyone else on the Mariners lineup last year. Uh, he has an 870 OPS, uh, and the new kid an 823. So, some some big time some big time acquisitions there. I know that Mitch Garver is really the guy that uh, most of you have been waiting for, though. We've been just complaining about this DH position not being filled up. And uh, the Mariners decided to go drop a bag of like eleven dollars and get Mitch Carver <laughs> on this squad. Good. So, you know, you wanted Juan Soto. I see your Juan Soto. I I give to you Mitch Carver. Nigel, stop teasing. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah. Um, and then right when you right when you thought it couldn't get any better, you know, you're like just stoked. It's the it's the uh, it's the twenty eighth of December. And you're like, man, what do I want for New Year's? What do I want for 2024 Mariners? And I know we're all thinking it. We want Mitch Haniger back. <laughs> and sure enough, our guy, Jerry DePoto, went How are they going to fit all these guys in the lineup? <laughs> went out there and made a blockbuster deal, Robbie Ray, for Mitch Haniger. And uh, did they? Yeah, they added uh, Anthony Deschiaffini, uh, which I know I know he's which is Italian for <laughs> yeah. middling bullpen arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Italian for middling bullpen arm. You know, honestly, he'll probably be the best the best uh, acquisition of all of them, just because I, the Mariners can uh, can take any of these middling bullpen arms and somehow turn them into oh, yeah. superstars. He'll, he'll probably be fire. So he'll be he'll be a stud. I'm not worried about that. Mitch Haniger will break his toe <laughs> yeah. in spring yeah. trade and be out for the next three years. So I know everyone yeah. I know everyone was hoping to have uh, one Mitch on this team. Now we have two. Everyone's favorite name and least punchable name of all time, Mitch. What lineup can say they got two Mitches in it? Yeah, how many? Show me a lineup. How many I'd times have you one. met a Mitch and not wanted to punch them in the face? Real question. Every time. Nigel, tell me more. Yeah, I, I, I heard there's a new coach on the way. Oh, and then so. Is there? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Boy, boy, are you gonna love this one, Luke? Brace yourself. So, because we're because we're in the uh, in the season of bringing back the old to uh, to the Mariners, and you know, Mitch Haniger, we decided we didn't want to pay him, and that we we're gonna let him walk. So he went went and got his contract and got paid, and now we brought him back and are paying him anyway. So that was you know that's really smart. Uh, but we're bringing back. One of our favorites. Are you ready for this, Lukey? One of our favorite bullpen arms of the last 10 years. Wait, wait, let him guess. Let him guess. Bartender? <laughs> no, that's a great guess, though. Oh. One of our favorite bullpen arms. I'll give you one more guess. 
of the last 10 years? Yeah. Probably your absolute favorite. <laughs> uh, Fernando Rodney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, even better. Yeah, also a good one. Uh, we're bringing back Danny Farquhar. Oh. oh, I thought you meant for a coach. I did see that. I did see that Lord he Farquhar. Coach. Oh, he is the coach. <laughs> I. He's gonna be a bullpen coach, I guess. Oh, cool. I do. I, I do like Lord Farquhar. <laughs> So I, was, uh, I thought my guesses were better, honestly. I, <laughs> Danny Farquhar, uh, honestly, good story here. I'm glad that he's alive since he had a brain hemorrhage during a game and nearly died. So it's good that it's good that he uh, he's he's alive. Well, the Mariners and, uh, are kind of a Make a Wish Foundation <laughs> type team, so it only makes sense. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if if Mitch Haniger coming back wasn't enough for you guys, we're gonna bring back Danny Farquhar as well. I actually love that. I like Danny Farquhar. Yeah, I like Danny so. Farquhar. It's pretty, pretty uh, exciting. What else can they do? I feel like that's it, right? Um, yeah, but- carve it in stone. Seventy-five wins, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm I don't know if there's any other like previous Mariners that we can bring back, but let's just get the gang back together. Just. Anyone who was I think a former, Robinson Cano's available. Yeah, anyone who was a former Saudi Mariner Arabia. that was mediocre, welcome on back. We're, we aren't pen, we aren't spending a dime on you, but you're welcome to come back to the team anytime you want. Okay, that basically sums up the Mariners talk. But I will ask these two questions. I've already asked them before. Quick summary: Are we going to get Blake Snell? Are we going to get Cody Bellinger? Is there any other big names that you guys could see us signing before spring training hits? Well, I think they got to try to get Blake Snell now, right? You got rid of Robbie Ray, which, I mean, I'm not the biggest Robbie Ray guy, so I don't think that moves the needle that much. But you you have more of a reason now to get another starter. Because as much as we like Kirby, uh, Logan Gilbert, Brian Wu, and Bryce Miller, they're all still pretty young pitchers. I guess Logan Gilbert's pretty seasoned now, but so. Brian Wu is really the one I'm targeting that like I don't know that you want him to be an opening day rotation guy. He's probably better as your sixth guy. You know, they can come in and spell here or there and when somebody inevitably gets hurt can have a stretch. So you haven't spent money anywhere else, you might as well go get go get Blake Snell. I would love to see that. Yeah. Am I convinced that it's going to happen? Not at all. I kind of was convinced when they first made the trade with Robbie Ray. I was like, oh, maybe they have a lead on Blake Snell that this is going to happen in the next couple of days. Ben didn't. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just one of those things that it hasn't happened already, so why would it happen now? That's probably my Mariners pessimism really showing through, but just go, just go do it. I think he's been very clear that he wants to come play for Seattle. You have the money. You have the money to do it. so Or, I guess, depends on who you ask, because the Mariners seem to really think that they don't have any money. I don't know about Bellinger, though. Yeah, I don't I don't. Uh, that think, should have been locked up during yeah, I don't think Bellinger's winter meetings. I'm, I'm guessing we're going to go out there with uh, the combination of Rayleigh, Hanniger. Yeah, sorry, Nuke, Hanniger, and... Uh, and um, What's his name? Dom Can- Dom Canzano. There's your three corner outfielders. They're just going to alternate, and that's going to be your uh, 
that's going to be your starting outfield for the Mariners. And well, I'm excited. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Isn't I mean, there's a lot to write. Take home my about. money. See us spend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, your infield's going to be. I mean, we do know that Ty France is at driveline right now. That's probably the biggest, which thing. is a, I think is actually a huge thing. Yeah. He's he's in his underwear wearing the little wearing the little electrodes and uh, hitting baseballs and I'm guessing that uh, he's gonna come back and uh, hit 330, 45 dingers. Um, Seems reasonable. I, I assume this is his last year of arbitration this year. I, I know that they just today they they came to agreements with everyone that was arbitration eligible. Yeah, I saw that. Um, so I'm guessing he's on his last year before he's on a big boy deal, which is why he's finally decided to go to driveline and learn how to hit. So uh, I think that we can expect a big year from Ty France. And then what else do you have? Urias? Uh, is that is that his name? Playing second base? Oh, yeah. Or third. Or third. Probably third, because I don't know and that then, we have anyone else. And then you have third. JP, and then... By the way, happy birthday to J.P. Crawford today. Oh, it's his birthday today? Yeah, happy oh, birthday. Happy birthday, J.P. JP. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know who else we have in the infield. Is Dylan Morris going to be a starter for us? Swaggerty? Uh, Swaggerty starting starting third Ooh, base? Dylan Moore. <laughs> yeah, ba- ba- Gabagool. 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 Uh, yeah, I, I just really don't know what's... Uh, we got a lot of a lot of things left to go here, but um, a lot of moves left to make that are going to be very middling, and I can't wait to see it. It's going to be an exciting rest of the month and uh, February as we kind of really put this team together and find out what uh, how the Mariners can turn a dime into a nickel or nickel into a dime or something. I don't know. However the saying goes. <laughs> yeah. However the saying goes. Yeah. I- as Luke would say, let's put a bow in the Mariners talk, but I will put one positive statement slash kind of question. How dare you? Um, I read the other day that there are some beat writers that are saying George Kirby, potential Cy Young for this next upcoming season. Well, he was a potential Cy Young last year, so I don't know that that's some sort of headline-worthy news. Just trying to put something positive in. <laughs> well, yeah. He's great. I don't think anyone's worried about the pitching. Especially if they went and got Blake Snell. Pitching's not better not be the issue of this team. Just gonna be the same story we've seen every year. Can't hit. And Julio's just gonna carry the crowds, I guess. They'll just prop him up as our one star. That's how we do it. That's All the right. Mariners' way. There you go, folks. That's the wrap on the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of excitement to be had here. More more excitement to come closer to spring training. All right. Let's talk about the big meat and potatoes of the show. Us boys took the trip down to New Orleans, Nala, to see the Washington Huskies defeat the Texas Longhorns in the Sugar Bowl. Boys, let's break it down. Story time. Let's talk about our time in New Orleans, the glory, the horns down. (laughs) Where do we we start? Uh, I'll start with... uh... A harrowing tale here. Okay. Day of the flight. Getting a little work done in the morning. But we we had a, a red eye out. At least Luke and I did. Luke and Zal and I. And uh, I started off the day with a giant splinter. In, oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in my... Uh, 
hindquarter area, which uh, had to get some assistance from Luke on. So uh, right that on was the, right <laughs> on the ham hock. <laughs> yeah, right on the ham hock, and uh, couldn't get it myself. Had to, had to, yeah, had to, had to call in, call in the righty, and uh, and get that out. So it started out pretty, uh, you know, pretty horrifying there. But yeah, Luke, you want to give us any details on that? Not really. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> Blocked it from his memory already. Yeah. Don't blame him. Anyway, yeah. Um, but got into town and uh, we got there early. And well, I think you're missing a little part of the story that I found really amusing was your flight there. <laughs> yeah. Sitting up in first class. Yeah. It was yeah. my first time flying in yeah. first class. Yeah. Luke uh, doesn't stand for that classist bullshit. I really was, don't. But he happily slept up there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had a I had a neighbor next to me, an old gentleman, uh, who was quite the character the entire flight, including his uh, my favorite story from him, which was uh, actually two favorite stories. I'll I'll, I'll narrow it down to two. One uh, was that. This man asked for uh, the cheese platter because we're first class fancy like that. So we get some cheese and uh, cheese and fruit uh, when we get up into the air, when we get up to 10,000. And uh, this guy, I, I hear him ask the flight attendant and say yes on the cheese platter. Poor girl, poor girl shows up with this cheese platter and he's like, I didn't want that cheese platter and starts yelling at her. <laughs> Which really cracked me up, and I happily took that cheese platter and uh, told her thank you and that it was very kind. So, um, yeah, so that was my first favorite story there. And then my second favorite thing about this guy was just that uh, he he just was a good reminder that we're all getting old, and uh, you know, anytime uh, I think this is a rite of passage as a man. In fact, that like especially when you're around other men, it's like anytime you stand up. Like you need to make sure people know that it's painful. <laughs> Just carry the weight of the yeah, world exactly. on your shoulders. You carry the weight of the world on your years. shoulders, and uh, you know it 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 weighs on you after some time. And so, anytime you get up, you know you gotta make some noises and let people know your pain. And this guy was very good at that. And I think he he had a weak bladder in his old age, and so that f- four hour flight there was probably about five or six trips to the bathroom, and he made sure to let everyone know that he was getting up every single time. And so I didn't sleep particularly well, but uh, every time I woke up, I was in for a treat to this old man just really uh, letting me know the struggle. Yeah, can we get room. an example of the type of <laughs> sounds and noises that he would make? <laughs> 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 just to stand up. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really puts you to bed. And then, uh, the, <laughs> and then every time he'd come back from the bathroom, he'd just have this like sh- shit-eating grin on his face because I'd be like trying to sleep, and I'd like see him coming back, knowing that he's gonna about to make a scene again <laughs> as he sits down, and he just has this like shit-eating grin on his face, like yeah, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> so I think he was milking it for me. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was the uh, that was the flight there. Really nice. Um, pretty comfortable though first class is great um yeah we got there and no complaints there yeah no no complaints there um the alaska airlines accommodations were fantastic the cheese plate to die for okay (laughs) um and also old man take a look at my life i'm a lot like you so (laughs) wow well neil yeah 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 no but uh got to nola 
and um, slept for a couple hours once we got there and got the first. I'm going to I'm going to butt in there real quick is that uh, you, you weren't super privy to this. One of these notes I made sure not to say because I didn't know if it would uh, upset Kalia. But we get we get to our Airbnb and we got an early check in because we got there at like nine or ten a.m. local time. You know, normally you can't check in until four o'clock. But like, guy let us in. I need to use the bathroom. I instantly go in, take a shit. <laughs> Toilet does not work. <laughs> Toilet does not work. So we just got this shit floating in in the toilet i attempt to fix it because i like take the back off it's like oh there's no water in here maybe i can like pull the lever and it will fill no it's not really doing that maybe if i fill it with water it'll go no the whole thing was just fucked so come out like yeah it's all you're gonna have to let this guy know the toilet doesn't work come out and this is the part i hadn't told you come out and i guess realistically there's no roaches out here in Washington, so I don't have frame reference. There's just a massive. Not it's probably not that big. It wasn't really. that big. It's not it that big. big. It's massive to me because we don't have roaches out here. There's just a massive dead roach in the kitchen that none of us had noticed. I'm like, huh? Hope there's not roaches in this place because there's definitely one right here, and it's definitely dead. Like, Zal calls up the guy, and he actually was already on his way over. I don't really know why because he was the, just going to show us the. Do the check-in and show us around, which, which is stupid. You don't but. really do on Airbnb, but we did check in early. So then also, I'm like laying on the couch. The guy goes, like, opens up the toilet. I was like, oh, like, there's shit in there. I was like, yeah, how do you think we figured out the toilet doesn't work? <laughs> the guy walked in there and flushed it without using it. And it was like, oh, this toilet doesn't work. He got a yelp. So it was pretty pretty. Good. He's was like, like, ah! He, yeah, you like hear him try to flush it and then, like, open the top. And like, ah! Okay. Like, I don't know how they got there. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that when we got here, I swear. So, anyways, we're off to a little bit of a rocky start, especially because then he's like, yeah, I'm going to have to get my guy Mario to come over and fix it. So then I'm sleeping and then homeboy shows up, you know, an hour later bangs on the door comes in. It's like, yep. Toilet doesn't work. I need to go get the stuff, you know, the pump, like new pump or whatever comes back an hour later, banging on the door again, fixes the toilet. That was all, it was all fine in the end. It was just, it's like, man, I really hope this place isn't an absolute shithole. Cause we're already off to a great start here. That was going to be my only note. Nigel can uh, keep it rocking from there. Um, I don't, I, I'm trying to think where else. Oh, next big treat was the kitty. I think that was a good highlight, but yeah, a little Turkish, uh, French Turkish like cafe on the corner and met a really cool cat that had a picture of itself. This grumpy old cat. If you saw, if you're on my Instagram, you probably saw a picture of it. Awesome, awesome kitty. Um, but then we got into got into rocking down uh, uh, down Bourbon Street. After that, went went and got some grub. First meal had to, had to do it. Got some uh, got some gator. Got an alligator po boy. It was fantastic. Um, went and watched a bunch of live jazz. Waited for uh, waited for Tan and Kalia to get in. Got we, snubbed from a vampire bar. Oh yeah, got snubbed from a vampire bar. Yeah. It, Get this, they, uh, I happened to be outside going to the bathroom at one of these jazz clubs and there was a vampire out there and, uh, <laughs> true fact, uh, he really did look like, yeah. uh, Louis Brad Pitt's character from interview with the vampire. Yeah, He was definitely a vampire. And, uh, 
I overheard someone tell him the, the uh, secret secret code to get into their their secret vampire bar, and this is just a, there's actually like a vampire store in in uh, New Orleans, and so if you go to the store, they'll tell you this tell you this secret you know entry code, but you're supposed to go to the store. I think. Which for the listeners, uh, this is something that Nigel's really into. He's really into the dark arts and yeah. magic and vampires and stuff like that. So voodoo. he was all in. Yeah, yeah I was all. Yeah, I was all in. So I, uh, so I went and you know half hour later went and uh, told this guy the secret code to get in, and he's like, "Do you have the physical pass to get in?" And I was like, "No, but I told you the secret password. Let me in." And uh, he refused, and he said, it's "Like, kind of defeats, it the, defeats purpose. the purpose." Like, what the? I was fuck? like, <laughs> "I just want to go and pay thirty dollars for a cocktail, dude. yeah, and hang out with vampires." Yeah, yeah exactly. Just, I just want to hang out with some in. vampires. They wouldn't let me in, which was mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fuck New Orleans and those yeah, vampires. Yeah. Vampires. That's are, when we left. Yeah, vampires yeah. are real. That was dude. it. I was done with that place. Yeah, yeah. He, I, you're supposed to be invited in to uh, the vampire's house. Uh, anyway, so it's the other way around. You have to invite the vampire. <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't invite me in. Yeah, that's dickhead. a good point. <laughs> Fucking dick. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I can bore you with every nitty-gritty detail but like we ate a lot of good food went to a, a lot of good shows and music if you're going to new orleans bourbon street's great but go to frenchman street that's where the that's where the real action happens or go down royal that's what we really or found go down out royal yeah royal's got some p- pretty cool bars and stuff too luke and i explored that a little later later on after everyone left but uh, there's some other cool cultural spots that you can get really good experience in New Orleans and really good food and everything else. Um, and Magazine Street was pretty cool. Like so, there's we went to a ton of different spots all over the city. We went to the Botanical Gardens, uh, which was pretty sick. Yeah, it was really nice. Nigel really knows his uh, his gardens and his plants and his art, so he really gave us the full tour and explained everything to us. Yeah, I'm a connoisseur of uh, native New Orleans plants, so uh, I really was able. I don't know to... if you guys know this. <laughs> yeah, I was really able to to uh, you know kind of take over, take the reins on that adventure for sure. Um, but yeah, and the, the uh, I think the. Obviously, the game is the culmination of all this, but the other... Can I real... tell you my favorite story? Yeah, let's hear it. Maybe you were going to get to it, but I feel like you glossed over it. So, Tanner and Kaylee get in late the first night that we're there. Pretty low-key night. Went to Bufa's. Which oh, was at, which if you're was in a... Orleans, go to Bufa's. It was, it was cool. But, had a really fantastic Reuben sandwich. I don't think New Orleans is known for their Reubens, but that place was hitting. So, then the next night, though... We really went out, and so as you do, we find ourselves at a strip club. And <laughs> if you guys, if you guys want to get into the other details of being at the strip club, you're more than welcome to. I just want to highlight my favorite part. I'm just kind of sitting over to the side, you know, enjoy, really enjoying watching everyone else in our group have a good time. But the culmination of all of this is, at some point, the waitress comes over with like five like bud lights on a tray and it's like something out of a cartoon i could just i could just see it coming now the backstory is this was an inside job is that like five, like five minutes beforehand somebody at the other table nigel tanner Zoll, one of them nigel i figured it was you but i wasn't gonna call you out had like spilled their beer 
or like knocked it off the side of the table. I actually knocked Zal's beer over. <laughs> this better. is even better. I, my beer was un- <laughs> unscathed. I knocked Zal's beer over okay, when so I was walking by. The detail, the details matter. Yeah, so, exactly. Nigel knocks Zal's beer off the table and it spills on the ground. And Nigel does the right thing and he goes over to somebody and is like, hey, I spilled a beer on the ground. Can I get a towel or whatever to wipe it up? But, you know, Nigel's not a janitor. <laughs> so uh, he, I'm sure you wiped it up to the best of your ability at three in the morning at the strip club. You know, three in the morning strip club standards for wiping up a spilled beer. So anyways, flash forward is that I am sitting here watching this waitress walk up with a tray full of beers. And she must have stepped on the spot where Nigel had spilled the beer. And I see her kind of like her foot kind of slides out and she kind of like jolts. And is like tries to catch her balance, but the the beers are already shaking, and she goes to correct with her hand, and basically just yeets all five of the beers onto Zal's back, and just drops all of the bottles onto Zal. First off, you spilled Zal's beer, and then that beer ended up spilling five beers on top of Zal. I think Tanner got a little bit of the uh, shrapnel from it too, but this was right over Zal's shoulder. Yeah, he, he didn't even see it coming. I I'm didn't just catch sitting a here. Drop a beer on this. It was like yeah. it was like a cartoon character, <laughs> like carrying a tray of beers, and just you can start to see the slip and fall with the beers. And, and this then they is just go why all over Zal. you should wear non-slip shoes when you are a waitress. Okay, everyone. It's true. If she was wearing Crocs, that wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, if she was wearing Crocs, it wouldn't have been a problem. Never would have happened. So even when you're at the strip club. That was the highlight of the trip outside of the Huskies winning. <laughs> non-stick, non-stick, <laughs> or non-slip shoes are a must, okay? Um, yeah, that that was very hilarious. Also, I think my, my second favorite part of that is that I had told the dude when I got the, uh, when I got the towel, I was like, Trust me, I'm not that drunk. I'm not like I'm not even that drunk yet. I'm not, you know, out of control. I'm sorry. And then like fast forward to half hour later once beers have been spilled and all these things are going on, homeboy catches me barking at the table. <laughs> I got it from that's normal behavior. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm and he's like, now you are, (laughs) which I thought was very funny. Um, I wasn't even, I wasn't even buzzed, but uh... those are those are NA beers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Those they were Bud Lights. They might as well be NA. Yeah, that was that was very funny though. That guy, that guy came back and made me laugh very hard after that. Um, Yeah. That was that was a highlight though. I that was I I did gloss that and that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, other lot of fun things was uh, was uh, the parade. I had a lot of fun at the parade before the game. Oh yeah, the parade was great. Parade yeah, was the Sugar good, Bowl parade that yeah, was sh- that was actually yeah, a lot the of fun. Sugar Bowl parade was ended up being a lot of fun. Norm is great because you can just drink on the street too. Yeah. So it's like usually you go to parade I am not and- a parade fan. <laughs> But when you're getting beads and oh, Nigel and I were in, in the trenches fighting for beads against these children. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were throwing kids of off. Yeah, we were throwing kids off of us, getting all these beads, horns down. Yeah, throwing the horns down on folks. Texas uh, fans saying that's rude. Yeah, and so that <laughs> so was. Sensitive. I had a I had a very good time at the uh, at the parade. That was a lot of fun. 
Uh, didn't have a good time watching the Seahawks lose after the parade to the Steelers. But... Also, a side note too with the with the beads and the parade. I think Zal actually ended up th- throwing a little flashing out there too to get to earn his beads. Yeah, I think he, I think there was a couple of honeys up on a balcony. Yeah. that had a pile of beads and they were wanting a show, and so Zal gave it to him. So yeah, yeah, Zal Zal earned some of his beads for sure. It wasn't just parade beads. He was he was there to work. So yeah. in uh, classic New Orleans style. So, um, yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. We had a, we had a good time at the parade. Uh, this is something, uh, you may or may not know as uh, football fans, but, uh, Luke and I have talked about it before probably, but Tanner really got to experience it this time. And that's that uh, there's something that Texas fans really don't like Tan. Do you know what that is? Um, is it a horns down? Uh, yeah, that's the, that's, <laughs> that's exactly it. And we threw it a lot. We did. And their response usually was a, like a scowling look or just like, oh, that's rude. That's mean. Hey, man, you don't got to do that. That's yeah, disrespectful. Do that. Just cheer for your own team. Yeah. yeah fuck you. <laughs> I am cheering for my own team. Yeah, exactly. So we we didn't make many uh, Texas friends while we were there, except for those girls on the balcony. They uh, Yeah, they were cool. Yeah, they were cool. We made friends with those Cougars before the game. Yeah, we did make friends with the uh, with the Cougars before the game. They were pretty nice, too. Um, am I missing anything story, story time wise though? Like I, I feel like you kind of hit a lot. Tanner of made name. this one girl really angry. I believe her name was Abby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nigel, you got to see that from the sidelines, didn't you? Yeah, I got to, I was right there. That bar was cool. I was right there yeah. in the trenches. So after, after the strip club, uh, we were walking back and we went to this other little divey bar. It was spooky. The dungeon. The, the dungeon. dungeon. Yeah. It was super cool. That was actually one of my favorite spots that we went to the entire trip. That and Bufus was super cool too. I yeah. like that spot. Yeah. It was really great because the bartenders were about as drunk as we were. So made for a nice environment. Yeah. No, that was might, might even be more drunk. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. The the bartender, the bartender was very uh, Tommy was so ask because <laughs> yeah. uh kaylee the whole time was like like where do you think she's from she's got to be like eastern european or something like and she kind of had that look about her but she is just blitzed in right? thick accent like yeah you can, every time you hear it <laughs> yeah and so then eventually uh i think kaylee like asked her name she's like julia and it's like yeah that sounds like ulia i think <laughs> is what you meant to say and then like uh, like where are you from she's like i'm from here <laughs> she's like all right next you're gonna tell me you sell jeans <laughs> in fact she does i saw her buy a van after <laughs> it's perfect so uh, that was cool yeah so we went into the dungeon and we we're hanging out having a good time and i scurry off to go to the bathroom try to find the jukebox to play some creed obviously naturally and, it was like uh, a metal bar it was only metal yeah, can you believe that they didn't have creed at a metal bar i didn't understand that <laughs> yeah Honestly, disgrace. I, I I wanted to write a five star review for the place, but I had to give him three stars on Yelp for not having Creed. But uh, I come back and there's a girl like by herself sitting like with the group, like in the seat that I was in. And so I just like walked up, like well, joined the pack again, and joked with her, like, "Hey, you stole my seat!" And she was instantly like all giggly and whatever else. And she starts chatting with me a little, and I'm just having a friendly conversation. And then she looks over and she sees Kaylee and she's like, and she sees my ring and she's like, is that your wife? I'm like, yeah, that's my wife. Like, she's right there. That's Kaylee. You want to say hi to her? Like, what, what do you want? And this girl is just instantly angry. And I don't know, like, 
if she's just like she thought she had a bad it. night, like a little lonely, whatever was going on. I'm like, yeah, like for yeah, that's her, like whatever. And so she was in the dungeon. She wanted some human interaction. She finally got it. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. she kept thought, talking about how her friends were waiting for her, but like I don't know where. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, they're upstairs. I'm like, is there an upstairs in this place? I I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I was like, oh, blah blah blah, and like the conversation kind of tapered off, and I like, look over to like I'm talking to the guys again, talking to Kaylee, and I look off to my left shoulder where she was sitting, and she just disappears. And this is kind of where Nigel can take over the story as well. I mean, I don't. I just saw her storm off and be what, angry. Didn't you talk to her? Like, didn't you try to say hi or something? Or that was you? me. Okay, so that Luke was me. Can take over at this point. <clears throat> I was just going back to my seat, and I feel like you're slamming the timeline a little bit. Is it? I feel like you had been talking to her for like 20 minutes, yeah, and then she realized that you were married. So. I think she was ready to fly first class with a pilot and <laughs> and then realize that you were and then realize you were married and then I think I went to go use the bathroom and then when I came back is like she like got up and she was walking past me and I was like okay like see you, Abby like have a nice night or whatever and she basically just like scowled at me and like pushed me out of the way and just like <laughs> left and I was like damn she must be really hurt about the fact that Tanner's married cuz that's you know that's not it's not polite behavior. No, yeah. it's not. I also hadn't really talked to her at all other than when you're like, like, no, these are all my friends here. Like, that's Nigel, and that's Zol, and that's Luke. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, honestly, Abby, if you're listening to the this is the podcast right now, like, you should probably apologize at some point to all of us. Because <laughs> it was rude behavior, and that's just, like, that's not cool. Yeah. But there's something I did discover from her and some of our friendly workers at the strip club that I was unaware of, but... There seemed to be kind of like a common denominator here that they were all from Florida, the ones that I talked to. And none of them seemed to know where Seattle was quite on a map. Like, I'm pretty sure that one of them was wondering, because they, I, I forget which one we were talking to, but we're like, oh yeah, we're from Seattle. And the girl, one of the girls we were talking to was like, oh, I've been to Minnesota before. Like, they're pretty close, right? Yeah. And it's like, really? Not like, quite. I'm not saying I can like point out every major city like precisely where it's at, but I can give you the state. Yeah. And I can give you the general area where that state is located. And I don't think Minnesota and Washington are that close. I mean, I could be wrong. Some of these Florida's education system fails its youth again. Yeah. You can Thanks, thank, Ron DeSantis. You can thank Ron DeSantis for this. Um I think another important note is that we uh not necessarily me. I didn't really make friends with the, with the, these people, but uh, Kalia and Luke in particular made friends with uh, one of the exotic dancers. Uh, yeah, Kalia is the only one that came out with a stripper's phone number. Yeah, Kalia left with a stripper's <laughs> Kalia left with a stripper's phone number, and at least uh, when we left the club that night, I was under the impression that she was going to be coming to the game with us, which was uh, <laughs> which was would have been very comical, and I wish would have happened. Um, but that was also kind of a fun, fun uh, part of the story. There was that we befriended one of these dancers and uh, invited her to come to the game, which she accepted. And then I, apparently her car got shot up on New Year's Eve, and so that didn't end up happening. Which uh, sad day that for all. Fight a nickel. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, but sugar bowl. <laughs> yeah, let's sugar bowl. The meat and potatoes of this, Lucas. <laughs> tell us about the sugar bowl. Well, honestly, honestly, that game was never in doubt in my mind. But all all jokes aside, I honestly did think going into it that the Huskies were going to win by 
at least 10 double digits or at least two scores. So we'll say, I guess, nine points would have. If not a million. Nine points, I guess, would have qualified for two scores. But I was thinking at least 10 points. And honestly, like the way they played, I thought they were going to for most of the game. But, you know, it's kind of just how the season went throughout every game is that the Huskies were just, in my mind, they were a lot better than Texas. Maybe not a lot better, but they were better than Texas, just like they've been better than all of their opponents. They just couldn't couldn't just like make those plays when they need to. You're up 10 points with the ball. You got a chance to score a touchdown, go up 17, that game's over. You fizzle out, you kick a field goal, you go up 13. I think we even got the ball back again up 13 points. Yep. And then we didn't score any points, obviously, because that was our largest, uh, largest margin, margin there was 13 points. And it's just like, you know, that's why the Huskies had so many games that ended with a one-score victory. I It's not like it, I ever really felt like the game was in question, I guess, other than down to the last play of the game, you know. Yeah. But realistically, through the third and fourth, especially the third quarter, Huskies had the ball for like 12 and a half minutes out of 15 in the third quarter. And that entire time was like, Huskies just need one more good drive. But they kind of just didn't do that all season. And then you end up with these close games when, in my mind, it was a larger margin than the score showed. Now, Texas game obviously came down to the very last play. And we can get into the bullshit of of how of how that unfolded. But yeah. Um First thing I want to say is that uh, atmosphere was pretty rocking. Even though, even though we were outnumbered, I'd say probably eighty twenty, maybe twenty five seventy five at best. Yeah, at um, best. You know, still good atmosphere in the stadium. It was it was rocking pretty good, especially at the beginning of the game. Like things were, things were feeling feeling uh, important, which was which was cool. Um, and Penix came out just absolutely fucking scorching fire, which yeah. was which was, was pretty dialed. awesome. He was dialed, which um, was awesome to see. And I like much like Luke, I thought the dogs were easily going to win by ten points. Um, so I was pretty surprised that it wasn't wasn't a double or two score game. Just especially how Penix played and how the defense played. Like you just made mistakes and weren't able to like put your uh, foot on their throat and finish it off. But, um, yeah, they they looked really good offensively in particular. Um, also, <laughs> that being said, that last, uh, that last drive for Texas when they got the ball back was some of the most nerve-wracking moments of football I think I've ever watched in my life. Uh, yeah. In particular, once, uh, once they got down. Honestly, it was zone. more stressful, like I said, watching the replay. <laughs> yeah, even I though I know dis- that they win, yeah. that it was just like in the moment, I was just like, "There's no way the Huskies lose this." Yeah, there's no way they're gonna collapse that bad and piss this game away. And I, it was probably just more like telling myself, <laughs> "Yeah," to like trying to you know manifest ma- that. Ma- yeah, manifest exactly manifest it. But the entire time, I was like, "There's no way they're giving up a touchdown." I don't care how close I get; yeah. they're not giving up a touchdown, and they didn't. Like I said, it was more stressful. Rewatch it. It's like, man, we probably should have gave up a touchdown on this drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was definitely, I think that's what made it so sweet at the end. Cause it was like, 
I, I was so confident throughout that, especially the second half of that game, just how things were going, that like having that horrifying fear of, of losing it all at the last second made it even sweeter when they won. Well, you're even more confident, even like the last three or four minutes of the game where Texas fans are leaving and like. Yeah. Like, yeah, after they got the onside kick, yeah, fans are walking down. We're giving them the horns down. And I, I honestly was saying to them too, I was like, where are you going? The game's not over. Yeah. That yeah. ended up being a little more true than I was hoping it was going to be when I was saying it to them. But I mean, it's still thought it though that it's like there's still time. It If they don't have the Dylan Johnson injury, I mean, which, it should be that you're getting the ball back with 20 seconds left at best. Yeah, that's, having, having to go 80 yards. Yeah, but the uh, BYLP lunch, <laughs> BYLP podcast uh, is officially starting a GoFundMe to uh, make the NCAA change that rule <laughs> that uh, when your player's injured and the clock should be running, you should you should be the one that gets the option to continue to run the clock, not the other team. That was some complete bullshit. And I really don't understand how that's a real rule. Yeah, even if they even if they set they reset the play clock to twenty five, yeah. and then it goes on their yeah, whistle, and be... then you could so you don't get the full forty, but you at least get twenty five. Is that yeah? It makes no sense to me. And yeah, I mean, some people had already commented it. Some writers that it's like feels like all that does is incentivize a defense to try to hurt somebody in a time killing situation if you get a free timeout out of it. Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you try to gator roll somebody or twist somebody's ankle to see if you can hurt them and yeah. get a free timeout? Like, so they got to change that. Yeah, that's definitely. even if it's just the 25 seconds agreed, but yeah, that was some, that was some shenanigans. Yeah. And you lead into that or right after that, then you kick the punt and then we interfere with the fair catch, <laughs> Yeah, the kick catch which is just dumb. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the by long, the punter, the or, long sorry, snapper. The long snapper, I mean, yeah. yeah, by the long snapper. So you're talking about three or four minutes. So it was just it started actually getting... grueling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah, it was absolutely grueling there for a minute. And you had the running back who caught the ball, which I think was their last, yeah, truly like positive gain play. Yeah, where I when I saw it on the jump at first. They didn't have a good shot of where his feet were, so I thought he was just out of bounds. And they showed it, and I was like, that's definitely a catch. It wasn't until we watched the replay that he he kind of, like, regathers it in his hands. I still think it's a catch, and it should yeah. be 100% of the time. But it was a closer call than I thought when I watched it on the Jumbotron. Because at first I was like, oh, maybe he stepped out. I was like, oh, no, he got that. That's in bounds. Like, yeah. they're going to get that. It wasn't until we watched the replay that I was like, oh, that was a little closer. He kind of... He kinda, moves his hands on there and kind of yeah. regathers it and he's out of bounds by the time but I thought it was a catch but defense balled out though. Yeah, especially at the end there. They well, they they balled out by giving up uh 70 yards in about 20 seconds. But then when they when the their backs were against the wall, they did what they needed to do, which has kind of been exactly what's happened all season long. So, that's much like you said earlier, I was pretty confident that they weren't going to give it up just because they hadn't given it up all season. And so I was pretty sure that they weren't going to do it in that situation. And they didn't. And they won the game. And it was glorious. And, man, felt good to felt good to know that the dogs were going to a natty. That was fun. And then the celebration was on. The celebration was on. But, man, what a, it was just such a crazy feeling. Like you couldn't even, like... I don't know, for me at least, I couldn't wrap my head around it that, like, they were... No, it didn't set in. Yeah. No, it didn't set in. 
and it, it took it took a couple of days to really. I mean, I feel like actually just Monday when we watched <laughs> yeah, when the we national watched championship is when it really sat in. Like, holy cow! Like this is real. Yeah. But hell of an experience. I mean, yeah, highly recommend. I mean, obviously, uh, there's some bowl games that aren't as uh, aren't as fun, but like going out to a bowl game is a great experience every time that I've done it. And we kind of, you know, nowadays we're a little more picky and, you know, pick and choose a little bit with the ones that we go to. But I would highly recommend any big time bowl game that the Huskies go to. If you're a fan, save your pesos up and go to one of those because it's it's a lot of fun. There's certain destinations. You're you're welcome to ask Luke or I or or, uh, Tan which uh, which ones are are good ones to go to. You're unsure, but there's because there's definitely a few spots that are going to be a little more fun. But man, you can have a good time and uh, get to kind of immerse yourself in it, and uh, it's a blast. Traveling for sports, it's awesome. <laughs> One more side note with that. My other advice to go along with that: if you're going to buy merch for the bowl game, do it in advance. <laughs> Do it in advance. That's <laughs> great advice. That's a good, especially that's a good PSA. the semifinal. It's definitely on the set. If you're going to a semifinal game, buy in advance because our bozo crew decided. Some of our bozo crew decided to go out and try to buy the inexperienced ones. Try to buy some swag, and that was about an hour and a half wait. And then in the midst of that, someone tries to steal merch while they're in line. And run off with it. And that then stops the line because then they have to find that person and like recalibrate whatever operation they're doing there. So it, it's a process. Get get your merch in advance. Or go find a little side hut before the game. So the Sugar Bowl was the good. Let's go into the bad. Let's talk about the national championship. <sighs> Heartbreaking. Uh, very much so. It was pretty crushing. Um Especially, you know, I'm sure Luke feels the same way here, but um, the score doesn't tell the real story of that game in my in my mind. Um, you know, that it was a one score game for most of the game. The first oh, quarter, seven minutes left. I think <laughs> yeah, in the fourth exactly. quarter, it was a one score game. Yeah, the first the first quarter first quarter of that game was probably some of the worst defense and offense that the Huskies have put together all season. Maybe our first drive, we actually moved the ball. Got a field goal. Got Yeah, we moved the ball, though. looked looked okay. But uh, defense looked as bad as I've ever seen them. <laughs> and um, Yeah, because at that point, they were averaging, what, 19 yards per carry? <laughs> yeah, 19 yards per touch. And pretty much, you know, they had, what, three 50-yard plays in, in the first quarter. More or less. And and one probably 40-yard reception as well in there. So about as bad as you can start off a game. Uh, definitely looked like uh, the lights were a little bright for the Huskies to start that game off. I think that's really the tagline, and we can go into more specifics, but I just we'll just cut right to the end. I think the Huskies, yeah, they really looked like the lights were a little bright. They were a little antsy. And they played like it on both sides of the ball. Defense just came out completely flat. I think they actually had a really good game when it was all said and done. Yeah, agreed. Like, you can't take away the first quarter, obviously. But after the first quarter, like, the defense was nails. They gave them every opportunity for the offense to go out there and win that game. And 
the offense, and that's kind of like what I was saying with the Texas game, you know, is that you were better than Texas, just like you've been better than every team you've played all year. So you get away with those things that it's like you, you're just not, you're not on point when you need to be, but you get away with it because we're better and we still end up and it might be a one score win, but you won the game. You finally played a team that is better than you or is at least as good as you. I'm, you know, we're biased. So I'll say that we're as good as Michigan, even if the score didn't say it, but they came out though ready. And again, we'll, we'll get into more about what happened in the game, but really my big takeaway is especially for, cause I think there is, you know, listening to sports radio and stuff. Is there's majority of people are like that was a blowout, not competitive game. And like, that's just not how it was. Huskies, Lights were bright for them. Michigan has been to the college football playoff three years in a row. First year they went, they lost by 40 to Georgia. Lights were too bright for them. They weren't ready for the moment. Yeah. And then they went back again, and they lost to TCU. They, they're better than TCU, but I, the lights are too bright. They weren't ready to play. They didn't execute. So now they get their third crack at it, and they beat Bama, and they beat us. And then anyone who says, like, that's a blowout, and the Huskies just not that good is like, this is Michigan's third crack at putting together their best game in the playoffs. It's the Huskies' first chance at it. So, like, there's nothing that they should be sad about, right? So, and anyone who tries to push that narrative is like, Michigan, they've been building up to this. Yeah. And this is the culmination of it. Didn't come from nowhere. This sure. should just be the first step for the Huskies. You got there. Moment was a little too big for you. That's fine. Go there again. Now, that's a whole other story that yeah. we'll get into that more. But, like, I don't know that it's fair to be like, Michigan was just way better than them. Huskies didn't deserve to be there or whatever. It's like, Michigan got embarrassed back-to-back years in the playoffs. They didn't even win a game. Huskies won their game and then got to the final. And then the moment was a little too big for them. I don't think there's any shame in that. But it was unfortunate to see it unfold the way it did because <laughs> yeah. you just, bad game, bad game to not have a good game. Yeah, yeah, and to go along with that, I never felt that Michigan was truly the better team in that game. And that's not going to make sense, I guess, looking at the score. But there were so many opportunities that the Huskies lost that game. Michigan didn't win it. They didn't make this crucial play or they didn't play this stellar defense in certain moments where it's like Michigan's the one that stopped that or they're the ones that made the play and – it was the Huskies. It was multiple times that receivers are dropping passes, hitting right to their chest. You know, the miscue between Odunze and Penix. When Odunze's wide open for a touchdown. He was 30, 30 yards downfield, wide open, no one around him. And for some reason, whether that was Odunze not doing the right route or Penix just not hitting his throw, that, that was a crucial moment. Or even, I think it was a third or fourth down attempt towards the end of the game where it's just that little wheel route out to the flat to Nixon. It hits him right in the chest. That was third down. That was third down, but yeah. yeah. But it's like those moments, I'm not crediting Michigan for, for being the better team in that moment. That was the Huskies just shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. And that goes back to go along with the lights were too bright. So when people say it's a blowout and the Huskies didn't deserve to be there, I, I just, I don't buy it. Like Washington had every chance to come back and win that game. And they were well within it. Like, you going into the the end of that first half when 
Washington comes out and they have the ball again, you're like, man, this we all felt good about it. We're like Washington's going to come back and play their game and they're going to come out and win this. Yeah. And it was just like, again, you start off the second half with a, a pick on the very first play where Penix free three points. <laughs> he should be throwing the ball away. But even then the defense was nails. They only give up three points in a pretty crucial situation to start off the second half. But it's like, there's another one of those that I don't think Michigan made an easy play. Penix threw that, like, basically straight in the air for a defender to go grab when he should be trying to throw that out of bounds. And now there's been some debate between us about whether Penix getting stepped on and, like, that's what, like, hurt the throw or if he really was trying to throw the ball up to his receiver. But those little stupid mistakes or even the misreads that Penix had throughout that game of not throwing it to the right receiver when a lot of times we saw Dunze wide open, I don't credit Michigan for that. I credit that the Huskies – just didn't play their game. Yeah. There's a difference between the two. Yeah. I'll give some credit to Michigan that I think it it's like part and parcel is that they did bring a lot more pressure on Penix than I think he'd seen basically in his entire time at a Husky uniform outside of maybe the Arizona state game that they brought pressure. But I, again, I think some national media people I've heard, they're just like pressure was too much. And offensive line couldn't hold up to it. It's like, I don't think that was the case. I think the, like, not the literal pressure, but the figurative pressure got to Penix more that he got hit a couple times and felt a little pressure early. And he had happy feet a lot of the times. And then he's misfiring on throws that he normally makes because he's feeling phantom pressure because he's expecting their pressure to be there. And again, that's just kind of the moment being too bright. I'm not going to say that Michigan didn't do anything because they obviously did bring some pressure yeah, and were able to, to say that not yeah. that they didn't do anything. I'm just saying that there was multiple opportunities to Washington that they could have taken over that game and they just didn't capitalize. Yeah. I would say if you're going to, if you're going to uh, fault the line for anything, it wasn't that they were giving up too much, you know, too much heat on Penix. It said they were false starting that too. Yeah. That killed almost, a couple almost drives. Once a drive, it seemed like where, you're already facing a good defense and you already have have to make up points and then you're you're going backwards every single drive and having to you know those those throws that are uh you know second and five versus second and 13 makes a big difference so um i think that was a huge part of the game Again, i'll give some credit to michigan is that your offensive line tend to get jumpy when they're yeah, when worried that their guy's gonna beat them yeah yeah you're getting a little exactly. antsy because you know that they're bringing heat your way and the guy's been bodying you a little bit throughout the game so you're a little you're a little more tense you're not you're not playing in rhythm and that's usually how you get false starts is that you're a little you're a little too focused on not giving up a sack instead of focusing on the snap count and you know just taking care of your assignment but i think- I, I agree though that it's like the huskies they they had their opportunities. They just didn't. It's not that Michigan put the clamps on them. They just couldn't execute. I think also, ultimately, the uh, I mean, Penix, Penix not not uh, being being very good in that game doesn't help anything. But I think the the biggest difference between this big game and the other big games that the Huskies have had this year is that it was very clear that Dylan Johnson was not healthy and there was a lot of those runs during the, during the game that 
any other time during the year against any other defense, doesn't matter how good they were. Those runs that in the Michigan game were three runs were five yard runs or, or more or seven. Yeah. Or seven. And in this game, they were one, two, three, and he looked a step slower. He, he just didn't quite have the pop. He, I mean, and he, he looked hurt. Yeah, exactly. He was. looked hurt. He looked hurt and he was, and yeah. I, I mean, I don't fault him for trying to go out there and like, you know, be a warrior. Like, yeah. You, I mean, what do you, what's your guys' the, take on the, that? The problem is that I think that the alternative, I don't know how much better it was. I mean, you saw, you saw a couple runs, but you also saw the drops in there that you talked about that like, those weren't Dylan Johnson dropping the ball. That was, that was young guys. That moment was too big for. So, I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because th- this is where it'd be nice if, you know, you had that depth at that position and you had Cam Davis all year long. And yeah. maybe that saved some of those touches for Dylan Johnson when in those games that he had to really be a horse and take on 20-something carries and run for 100-plus 100, yards against those big teams. When you have another another horse out there that's a guy that's a little more established – then that takes a little of that pressure off. And maybe when it comes to this game, now you have a two headed monster at running back there instead of one guy or half a guy because he's at 70% clearly. So I think in those big games that he's been such a, such a difference maker and the Huskies have really leaned on him and it opens up the rest of the passing game when you're able to actually run the ball and makes those second and shorts, third and shorts instead of second and 15, third and 15. So that was, I thought that was my, you know, obviously Penix didn't play well, but if I had to pick one other thing, I'd say that was the biggest, the biggest issue in the game. That all being said, Huskies have been, were like that all year long at times. And I like fourth quarter, I thought they were just going to put it all together and win the game. Like we all sat here. We all said the same thing. It's like, Penix has sucked all game. He's How many gonna... times are you going to give our offense a chance? Yeah, to put exactly. It it's like Penix has sucked all game, but he's going to win this game. Like, and yeah, he's going to he's going to score ten. Devin's going to give up zero. This game's over. And to cut to the chase is that we didn't have a single big play all game, and then you really thought that it was all going to come together when Roma Dunze broke loose on that one, and they call, in my estimation, a very ticky tack holding call on Roger Rosengarten. Especially considering that... how they'd called holding all day, that was a very. I mean, and again. I don't I'm not one to bitch about the refs. Refs didn't make Penix be off on a lot of his throws all day, but Texas did the same thing. Oregon did the same thing when we played them. Is that you can see it when you watch it, they're holding Roma Dunze every snap. And it's really all of these teams, honestly, it's very Pete Carroll Super Bowl time Seahawks. Hold them every play and make them call pass interference every time. And they're not calling it. And that's fine because Roman Dunze will still win. He's that good of a receiver. It's just, it hurts a little bit more that then you know that they're doing that all game and then he busts loose for a 30-yard catch and they call the weakest fucking hold possible when yeah. Michigan has been doing it all game. And Michigan's offensive line is holding too. Like, that's what I, was I mean, say. you can call it on every play if you want, you know, the old thing. But it's like Honestly, Michigan's offensive line didn't get a single there hold. Some- very obvious holding calls yeah. that you could see from the TV. If we can see it, they should be able to see it. And that. I mean, even Kirk Herbstreet was kind of saying it. They're like, yeah, I, they're they're getting can, away with some here, and then Rosengarten gets called, and they're I can like, see, I don't know. I could see like Rosengarten had a not his best game either. He's a young young guy, and didn't have his best game, 
But on that play, he actually had an incredible play, I thought, to not hold and make a block on it because he's in bad position. This is why he got the hold called on him because he's in bad position. He's beat. But then, and he's in a position to hold the guy. He doesn't, and then punches him in the back so he falls on his face. Like, it's actually an incredible... And then goes to the next guy. And then goes to the next guy. It's actually an incredible block by him. And, and unfortunately, he gets the hold call and negates a negates a big play to, to get back to the main point too is that i think we we're all in this in the same feeling there that it's like how many times are they going to give us a chance to put this together and then you get that bit and it's like we just need one big play to like ignite this offense spark. yeah and you finally get it and it kind of took the wind out of the sails for the team and yeah i really felt like it did feel a little bit like after that and then obviously we didn't convert you know that it's like you're not going to have too many. And I think if I'm remembering how the game went is that that's when they then went down the field and scored a touchdown to go up 27 to 13. Yeah. And it's like, well, game's still not over. If you go score quickly, like, yeah. you know, there's seven minutes left in the game. You but go score you fast. But the main, the main thing there too, is that, and why I felt confident that if they could just score on any of those drives is that it was just like what I said with Oregon. I don't think Michigan trailed, a single time this season, as I think what they said, or they they definitely never trailed in the second half of a game. They might have trailed from a opening drive score, but even still, I think their total time trailing on the season was less than ten minutes, if at all. JJ McCarthy is not very good. All you needed to do was take a lead in that game, and I even said that at the coin toss when we won it. Yeah. I said the same thing in the Texas game that take the, take I would the take the ball. Score. I would take the ball first, play with a lead because Oregon, Oregon was the same way. Is it like Bo Nix? I just don't think he's very good. All you need to do is put them in pressure situations where they now have to play either behind or in a tie game, and they will make mistakes. And honestly, that in my mind, that is what you saw. It was 10 to 17 at halftime. You throw the early pick in the second half. Defense buckles down. You give up field goal. You go down 20 to 20 to 10. We think we get a field goal a drive or two later, but it's a one-score game. McCarthy and that offense couldn't do anything. Yeah. Cuz the game's close and they're they're playing not to lose. It's like all you have to do is put it together and score. Play either tied or with a slim lead, and I don't think that Michigan offense was yeah, they're not going to do anything. To do. Yeah, yeah. Put the pressure on. They punched you in the mouth and ran the ball and scored a bunch early, but like all you needed to do in my mind was tie the game and better yet, take a lead, even if it was a twenty-three to twenty lead. Yeah. Make Michigan play from behind. Get a couple tackles at the line of scrimmage on some runs. Force them into some passing downs. McCarthy's not going to do anything. Put the pressure on them that yeah. they have to be good on offense. Yeah, but you know ne- they never had to. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like that was the uh, it's just missed opportunity because <laughs> I think that's exactly how it would have gone. It seemed like once we were one score down, like they didn't have much going for them, <laughs> and like like you said, playing not to lose, afraid to, afraid to do anything, like can't you know missing passes, guys dropping balls. Like it was it was all happening and then you just couldn't you just couldn't punch it in and get the get the time. Yeah, but like I said before, um 
maybe maybe we can rope this into some Kalen DeBoer Alabama talk, but I think I think it's unfair for anybody that I've heard national media or on Twitter or whatever basically saying that the dogs didn't deserve to be there because it's like took Michigan multiple multiple trips to the college football playoff to figure out how to be a team that could bring their best version of themselves out on the biggest stage. And the Huskies, they just got there really fast, and then they didn't have their best game. Yeah, Yeah, it makes you wish that uh, last year would have gone a little different just because maybe you get that experience for – And maybe you slide into the college football playoff. 11-1 and slide into the – into the playoff somehow if you don't like lose to ASU or something and you, you know, you win the PAC 12 championship then and, and slide into the playoff and then get that, get that shot. But, um, but you did play Texas last year and you got, yeah, yeah, you in got, my mind, that was, as, as that was very, a, as good of a, a like jump start on it as for not being there for sure. But it, the moment was big for you know, like like we said to start. I think the moment was a little big for him in that in the big game, and so maybe maybe having a you know, we've been here before, we've done this, we know we know what to expect. You go take care of business against Texas, even a little more, and then you're ready to play for that national championship game. But I don't know. Also, you know, sometimes people just have bad games, but it it was it was a fun ass season, that's for sure. A lot of one traded for anything. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah. Regardless, if you want to, you know, people are angry and upset about the game, and you know, obviously, we were upset about it as well. But these are still the same guys that brought you to this point. Yeah, exactly. and it's not even this season, but last season too. Just combining these last two years with this particular, you know, squad of guys, it's like, what else could you ask for? Yeah, it's fun. Say, yeah, I'll roll it over. If DeBoer leaves, he's going to leave with a twenty-five and and three record. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. Yeah, 25 and 3 record. Pretty good. I don't know that anyone's going to match that. Yeah. Even if DeBoer stays, I don't know that he's going to match that over any 2-year <laughs> any 2-year period. Over any 2-year period. It was a 21 game win streak to go along with that too. Yeah. So, but hopefully that is what like I said we'll just roll it right into DeBoer. He's got by the time anyone hears this, we'll know if DeBoer is going to be the head coach at UW or at Alabama. I think we're going to know by we're recording this Thursday night. We'll know by 8 a.m. Friday morning, right? That is, it is Thursday, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, so by the time this gets posted, it will already know, but could be the start of something special and hopefully DeBoer stays and, you know, flash forward a year from now. And we're talking about how we called it right here on the pod. That is like, you had to go. You had to get there to know what it was about. Now you go back to win it. Yeah. If uh, for my money, uh, I'm saying DeBoer's announcing an extension with the Huskies tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. on uh, Chuck and Buck. <laughs> We asked him to come on to our show, just for the record. Yeah, we want to be the first we asked, to announce yeah, it. Yeah, we asked he him. He said he was come. unavailable. Yeah, he was unavailable. Um, 
but we did we did give him well, a call. He also knows how our editing goes. He knows it would still take like another like three or four yeah, days. Like people are counting on it to yeah. be released by eight a.m. We could have done it insta live if yeah. he was here. I think we could have spruced up the place a little bit. Maybe vacuum the couches. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I lit a candle just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, we have one uh, one halo light, so we we got you. Your, your lighting is going to look good. Share that mic over there. Yeah. <laughs> Here here's my concern about him uh, announcing tomorrow that he's staying is that I'm surprised. I you know I guess everything has gone so quickly. Like it's Thursday right now as we record. The game was on Monday. That game already feels like it was weeks ago yeah like it it's crazy and maybe it's just because put so much mental effort into preparing for the game and like thinking about it and like you know it's all i thought about leading up to the texas game was the texas game and then it's a blur being in new orleans a couple more days and you come back and then it's like just a blur heading into the national championship game but i'm surprised that if he was staying, that it wouldn't have been announced already. Now I get that. And he, he might've already come to terms even before the sugar bowl. And it's like, it's all about the team right now. I don't want to be talking contract, but it like, it sounds like we got this ironed out, but like now's not the time to announce it. Focus on that. Then you're focusing on the national championship game. Again, it was only on Monday. You get back Tuesday Maybe you're going to do it Wednesday and then Nick Saban retires and they're calling him and he's like, I got to at least go down there. I'm sure that's exactly what it is, is that I got to go down there and politely tell them no. Yeah. And I'm sure at the very least. And maybe I'll get a recruiting trip in too. His agent agent is making him go down, would make you go down there. Like you have to go do this because if nothing else, you haven't signed your deal yet. This just this just tacked on another million to my my plate because you're going to get an extra 4 million from your uh, from your current employer because you went and visited Bama and they want you back and want you just to sign now you know my real worry though is that he's going to come back and be like I wanted to do this this way to say thank you husky nation like I'm going to Bama nah not happening I'm like I wanted to be the first to tell you live on air that like xyz that's my worry, which is why, which is why, I would still think that if he had a contract, because I've just heard no details either. Yeah, it just it's rare that like if they. Say, I saw I saw in like Dogman or something. One of them tweeted out like, "We have details on on his contract extension," but then but that was before that was yesterday before Saban. Before Saban announced his retirement. That's the, yeah, that's the real game changer. So that's why I think they're gonna still announce he's gonna accept the uh, accept the extension from UW and uh, come ride for a couple more years. But we'll see. So if he does sign, what's next for the Huskies? I don't want to think about that. National championship. Oh, you mean if he signs? With- if he does resign with the Huskies, what are we looking forward to next season? Um. I think it's time to run it back. Yeah, run it back. We'll have to see what they do. I'm sure you'll still get some transfers that come in. Yeah. You already have you already have a pretty good crop of transfers coming in though. Like you've got you've got some you got your some quarterback. Game changers. You got your quarterback. You your got, wide receiver room is looking real thin though. Well, you got Jeremiah Hunter coming in who's 
the top receiver at Cal. So that's at least that's at least one guy. Jeremy Bernard. Still got Jeremy Bernard. Still got Jeremy Bernard. I mean, they love they love Boston. Yeah, Denzel Boston. Yeah, and I still think he can be a guy too. Yeah, they love him. He just is lost with three NFL players in front of him. Yeah, so. that other freshman too, Rashid Rashid Williams. I think who's a pretty big time. He redshirted this year. Yeah, they're gonna be guys. And honestly, Nigel and I had talked about this a little bit before. Is that? I mean, this is what DeBoer does. I don't. Like, not to discredit Michael Penix or Adunze or any of those guys. Adunze, in my mind, is extra special. But, like, this is what DeBoer does. Be like, I, it's not it's not the players. It's the scheme. It's what I do. Yeah. I just put anybody in there. Now, not anybody, but anybody that I pick to be on my team, yeah. you know, like plug them in there and like Will Rogers will throw, assuming he plays all the games, Will Rogers will throw for 4,000 yards next year. He's already done it multiple no, it times. You have three NFL wide receivers on your team. Right. But I'm sure he'll say is like, that's, that's a bonus. Yeah. But like scheme them up more. They're going to be open. Yeah. They just got to go make the plays. But let me ask you this one question to go along with it. If Kalen DeBoer does come back, if that's what he announces tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. on our show, <laughs> um, are you guys going back to the same slogan, Natty or Bus? I think, well, I think, uh, I don't know that we ever said Natty or Bus. I think you said playoffs. All right, let me go back. Playoffs or Bus? I said uh, Natty or Bus. But, okay. uh, but going, yeah, for for this next At the year, start of the season, I said expectation is playoffs. No matter what, yeah. whoever's playing it should, for the Huskies with DeBoer being the head coach. It should, it, I think that would still be the standard. Yeah. Playoffs or bust, especially because it's expanding. Yeah. So, like. Yeah, with the, with the eight teams, I think that it's playoffs or bust. And depending on how this new playoff format works is that there's no reason if you're a Big Ten team and you go – 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, you'll probably be in the playoffs if you don't if you don't win. Yeah. The Big 10 in that scenario is that you have a little bit more leeway and I mean DeBoer set the standard now you should probably have 10 wins every year. Yeah. I mean I don't know how exactly how they're going to do that now with all the uh with all the changes, but I would think you should be in a New Year's 6 game equivalent every single year just about. I'm sure that's the playoff game now. Yeah. Even if you're the last seed, I it's think only all, four all... games though. So, there's yeah. four games in it. So, the other two, if they're at large, like, yeah, I don't know how they're going to do that going forward. But like, you should be a top ten team, top twelve team every single year with Kalen DeBoer. I mean, that's kind of been that's the expectation. That's the, that's the expectation now, and like, you should be flirting with that playoff if not in it every single year i think that's what you mean. and that's if, and you're paying, know, if you're paying a guy tw- north of 12 million dollars a year that you're probably going to be paying him yeah and and to go back uh with the alabama thing too a couple notes is that one i would think that alabama isn't trying to bring in kalen DeBoer unless they think that he is the guy that can uphold that expectation because that's what nick saban did there you better win at least 10 games every year if not 11 or 12. I mean, I was looking at Saban was there 17 years. And I think 12 out of those 17 years, they were either in the BCS final or in the playoffs. 
which is what I was also going to say is that uh, I don't think any coach would admit this, but uh, you do not want to be the coach of Alabama. Why would anybody want that job? You want to be the guy that goes after. You want Dan Lanning to go to Alabama and go nine and three, three straight years and get fired because he didn't live up to the expectations of following up Nick Saban. Then you go in there and then you go win and then everybody loves you. That Taking the Alabama job right now seems like the worst job you could have because the expectations are just so high. Yeah, You're never going to live up to them. Maybe you would. Maybe you go in and you instantly win, but no coach would ever tell you that. Like, like great, I want those expectations. But that's the real truth in my mind. <laughs> like, you don't want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban. That's a hard act to follow. You, you want to be the guy after the guy. Because <laughs> then, then everything comes back to reality a little bit. I don't think Kalen, if Kalen DeBoer chooses to not go to Alabama, that won't be the reason why. But I, that's what I personally think. So, with that in mind, that should be the expectation for UW, though. That's why Alabama wants him to go there. Because he's the guy who can live up to the expectations that they've set. And that's the expectation at UW now, in my mind. You got Kalen DeBoer there? You better be winning at least 10 games a year and competing for a playoff spot, if not the national championship. I don't think it matters who the players are. That's all I got to say about that. I'm in agreement. mic drop all right we'll catch you next week see ya see ya see ya go dogs